tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007, our free phone number, and Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on this morning's show, secret nursing home payouts. Uh, this calls for investigation as Irish death rates soar. Litter concerns in Clonmel, our agony aunt, uh, Phil Prendergast, is with us, our GP, Pat Harold. We'll talk interior design with Karen Prendergast, and we have uh, Molly O., uh, temporary country music singer live with us in studio ahead of her appearance on Lord Tira tonight. So all of that and much, much more on the way. You can text on WhatsApp 083 311 You can email tip today at tipfm.com. Now, according to today's Irish uh, Daily Mail, Taoiseach Leo Vradkar signed off on secret payouts for families who were overcharged for nursing home care. Department of Health documents are showing. Now, this follows on from the exclusive story in the Mail on Sunday that uh, successive Tishi and health ministers, including ca- current cabinet members, agreed a secret plan to hide the true scale of the state liability for illegal nursing home charges that uh, prevent massive payouts, according to confidential government records. Joining me now is executive editor of the Daily Mail, John Lee. John, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. Um, this certainly has caused a stir. There's an awful lot to this story, John. Could you could you sum it up for us? There is and. Um it's um, it's complicated, but then it's not. Mm. Uh, I, I think what complicates it is, as you go through the documents, is that the the alacrity with which successive government ministers bow to the the pleas of civil servants and lawyers to in, to restrict as much as they can um, to the state's exposure on this, which is about money, but. There's also a lack, I think, of concern for the people at the centre, and I must say it's a fairly shocking. It's a fairly shocking outlay. But mm. to put it very briefly, nobody nobody contests that over um, over probably a nearly forty year um, period, it, it, there was illegal charging of people for the use of public, principally public, uh, nursing homes. Uh, facility in Ireland. Yes, and the state conceded that, and uh, wasn't 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 rushing to pay people uh, back the money they were due. And uh, and the initial sin in my eyes is that they expected people to come forward and and and, and, and pursue legal actions against the state to, to recompense that. But anyway, a, re- a recompense scheme was brought in in. in uh, between 2005 and 2009. In 2009, as many of your listeners may be aware, the Fair Deal scheme came into mm-hmm. play. But there was a situation then where um, a lot of people had uh, uh, health care, nursing home care for their, for their loved ones. And I'm sure, again, many of your listeners are, are, are aware that, you know, this can happen very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, the person, um, the elderly person, stage may degenerate very quickly and 
there weren't places available in the public health sector. They had to go and get get it privately. Um, Now, the documents that we have, and this is what makes it important, so we have all the documents. Uh, I think in government yesterday there was difficulty getting some of those documents because they're they're historical, but, you know, I don't think that's quite an excuse. But in 2011, so after all of this had gone on, the state's exposure was exceeded, but it was accepted by uh, the the previous... um, uh, administration, which we know collapsed in 2011. Uh, Edna Kenny, James Riley, Michael Noonan, they, they they sit down and they read a memo prepared for them, which outlines to them that the state still faces an exposure of around um, possibly 12 billion euros. That's 5 billion for um, the, the, the already still not compensated people over the public um, sector mm-hmm. uh, outrage, and then we still have the private. Um, anyway, uh, not everyone had come forward to pursue what they were due. Obviously, people had died, and um, all this is dealt with in a fairly, you know, um, cold-hearted fashion. I think from the documents. Nevertheless, they admit there's 346 legal cases, legal cases here to deal with in the memo labelled top seekers, I have it here in front of me, um, it's July 2011, and they say, listen, what can we possibly do to keep our exposure here uh, to a minimum? And then they outline then to themselves, uh, by means of the lawyers, their, their legal strategy, which is to um, essentially bring the case as far as you can, but with the understanding, again, crucially, from their own lawyers, that if it goes to court, we are on bad ground here. Essentially, we're wrong, so we're going to lose. Um, but let's let's clarify who the people they're up against are. It's the individuals who are supposed to be protected by the state. Um, sometimes, though, elderly people. Sometimes, people of you know limited means, um, of limited exposure to dealing with the courts. People like me, working as a journalist, I deal with the courts and lawyers all the time, and. This was set in stone that we're going to fight this as much as we can. We're not going to put out a missive in all the national papers saying, oh, by the way, people, uh, everyone out there, you're entitled to compensation here for what went on in the private sector. Uh, And you're due recompense. No, we'll keep it quiet. We'll fight as far as we can. And in their own documents, it says when the point comes then that everyone's going to haul off to court at massive expense, we then settle. And, and and just to remind uh, people, the health minister at that time was James uh, James Riley, wasn't he? Uh, James Riley, but you know the, the scandal as a whole, and it is a scandal, and that's not contested um, about charging people for public health and for private health mm. dates back to the seventies. So you know, James Riley's. We seem to have lost John. Um, can you hear me, John? Okay, we seem to have lost John there. So I think we'll make an attempt to uh, get John back and uh, we'll see if we uh, can do so because this story, um, like, is all over the newspapers today. I made the point to yesterday, I couldn't believe yesterday after it was broken on Sunday that it wasn't uh, dealt with um, right across uh, the media yesterday. Let me see if we have John back. Yes, John, good morning to you again. Uh, Oh, uh, sorry, we lost you just briefly there. You were about to talk about James Riley, John. Yes. 
So, you know, James Riley and other politicians were, were, were bowing to the um, the urgings of the Attorney General at the time and their own lawyers to this, we got to limit the state's exposure here. And not to focus on James Riley, mm. he's gone politics, but over a period, and it's, it's well documented publicly prior to 2011, by the way, that successive um, successive Taoiseach and Ministers for Health all knew that this was wrong. Um, but it had become so ingrained, I think, in the civil service and politicians of, modern, of a modern view that, you know, we we our, our duty is not to the individuals here. Our duty is to the state and protect the state. I would question that route. Nobody at any point called out Hang on, we're we're defending here something that we know ourselves and our own legal advice is wrong. It's pure wrong. We're putting average decent citizens through additional trauma on top of the trauma they've already suffered um, in putting themselves or their family members into into nursing homes, which you know mm. we all know a family touched by the by the, the trauma that comes with that. Um, so they didn't call call a halt. And what we say in today's paper to push it on from the weekend's round revelations of all of this is, and is that um, in early May, we're talking the fifth of May, uh, uh, whether whether this was a current risk issue at the time, we all we know is the following day in early in on the sixth of May. 2016, Leo Varadkar left the cabinet reshuffle of the Department of Health. On the 5th of May, a memo was distributed, so I won't name the person, I have it here in front mm-hmm. of me again, by a, by a principal officer of the Department of Health. And it's for all those who would look at the heading which says, manage long-stay litigation, including discovery efficiently and effectively. This is how to manage our legal cases when it comes to this. And uh, and there's a crucial line in it which says that um, we don't have text cases, but uh, to quote it says, it has been agreed by the Minister and the Attorney General that settlements are made within the range of 40% to 60%. And to translate that, that means we are going to reduce what we should pay to people who are due this money. And the Minister at the time? The Minister was, was Leo Varadkar, right. that's May 2016. And you know that he said yesterday on National Radio that he was ever party to devising or agreeing any kind of legal strategy in relation to nursing home charges, John. Leo Varadkar said what he said. Um, all I know is discussing this matter with a lot of senior people in government yesterday, and this is what they said to me, people at the top, they were having difficulty obtaining these documents. Mm. We, of course, before publishing last night, had interaction with... Leo Varadkar's um, senior team, and we made them aware of this. They were, I believe, struggling to find some of these documents, um, which anyone out there who has dealt with the Department of Health, and in fairness, a, a, you know, a, a near on 50 years um, um, process, can understand probably. I don't really. Mm. <laughs> there might be difficulty in obtaining these documents. And then we went on to publish an excerpt from a document which says that a year year later, the new Minister for Health, uh, Simon Harris, and again, at the top of that document, it it said that this is for the attention of the Minister. 
Uh, also, another sitting cabinet minister right now, Helen McEntee, who is the junior minister at the Department of Health, along with Simon Harris. For uh, the, the, the memo says for the Attorney General and ministers Harris and McEntee, and then that goes on to outline the case. The, 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 um, the, strategy. The, the current Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, he said that the strategy has been misrepresented in uh, the reports in, in the newspaper. Um, what, well, what do you say well, to that? Well, the, the, you see, the strategy um, is labelled secret. The, the, the government at no point has, has represented this, as successive governments, I should say, have represented this in any way. And I'm not t- talking directly to Stephen Donnelly, but what comes across from the acres of documents that we have that were su- submitted to us by uh, through the means of a whistleblower, uh, Shea Corr, is that there, it's so ingrained in, in the civil service and in the state that they their primary duty is to restrict the exposure of the state when they are wrong. And, and we've seen this in in other cases, of course, haven't we? Over of course, and yeah. like you, you know, and then we come back to the fundamentals of what the state does. You know, it, 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 I, I, God, God forbid, in the in a communist state in the past, the state was everything and the individual was nothing, and they, and they, they were proud of that. Mm. At least they were honest about it. Here, it's fight, fight, fight through the court, through the court system. But by God, when the opportunity comes to go to court, uh, we hold back because we know, according to their own documents, we are wrong. We have we, we have we have no ability of winning this. And John, does it hold any water? The other statement from Stephen Donnelly, where he says that the strategy um, was to defend cases, uh, making the point that medical card holders did not have an unqualified uh, entitlement to free private nursing home care. Does that hold any water for you? I don't. I don't really understand what that means. Like, you know, again, when you go through... It's trying to justify the the strategy, I guess, in some way. Is that it? Well, when you go through the history of it again, uh, and we we laid it out both yesterday's Mm. paper and today's paper, there are useful timelines there. Um, In 2001, the current tarnished uh, Micheál Martin as Minister for Health introduced universal health care by means of a medical card Mm. for the over-70s. And that then, as we know, caused some huge problems in 2008. That, that same government, when they would try to withdraw that universal, but that was it. That was the universal. That was the argument we all had. We, we, we saw them have publicly that they were withdrawing universal uh, uh, access to healthcare in the state for the over 70s, for instance. Um, and then they didn't withdraw it. But what the documents say is. Irregardless of, regardless of what they're saying now, is we have this, we are wrong. We have um, we have uh, Emily O'Reilly in 2010, the ombudsman, saying that this this is a scandal. About mm. a thousand complaints from members of the public, with with the harrowing details of the t- difficulties they assumed. Then there is this, and I'm not referring to Stephen Donnelly. I'm referring to other people I spoke to last. And again, we've uh, briefly lost uh, John. And um, I'm sorry, I have difficulty with my phone. Yeah, no problem. You're back to me now, John. Thank you. Yes, um, I, 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 you, were, I, you were talking about the ombudsman. Yes, the, 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 
then they uh, they can see themselves that we have no, we will not have a legal argument here that's going to win in the courts. These are the top legal advisors in the state, the Attorney General and those around the Attorney General at the time are saying, we're not going to win this, we're wrong. Mm. And then you have to question, just because it's been done in other instances, and we've had some very high-profile um, uh, scandals in recent years where women at the centre of the cervical check were fought every step of the way in the courts. They actually brought it to court, mm. and then they didn't accept liability. In these documents, the states are saying, we're not going to get to the court here. And we all agree that, because we're not going to win. So their admissions are, and it's, it, and it's pretty explosive, is that we're wrong here. And, um, um, the, the, sorry, I, I, got, I cut myself off there slightly deep. The narrative then is emerging is, you know, people went off and uh, decided to get um, private health mm. uh, nursing home coverage for themselves. We know how hollow that is as an argument because people are not, not in that situation. And government documents themselves then say people only went and got private health care. We will be found in court because they could not get a place in the public sector, the public nursing home sector. And yeah. we're gonna we're gonna lose on that base. It's 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 an incredible story. Is there more to come, John? Well, we're we're discussing what to do with the documents. There are there are a lot of opposition uh, politicians out in the last couple of days, and um, ultimately these documents are available within the system, within the government system, and they they have all of them. Um, there has been a, a whistleblower, Shane Core, who I think is very, very happy that the attention has been drawn to this. Yes. He has possession of these documents, I understand, and he is going to give them to the opposition. So, you know, it's been somewhat frustrating in the last few days to hear uh, opposition TV say on the airwaves and elsewhere, oh, you know, we're not, we're, we don't have these. We, we're going to organise for politicians to see these documents. And then... I think um, we're going to have some serious political repercussions because, uh, you see, talking privately to politicians, they still kind of can't have, can't fully grasp what they've done wrong here. Right, or the enormity uh, of it. Because it's so ingrained yes. now that, that, OK, the exposure is 12 billion, that's a, that's a, but there's an admission within, OK, hang on, you know, uh, that's the potential exposure, but... And this is this is referring and paraphrasing documents. A lot of these people are dead. A lot of these people aren't come forward. It isn't like when you go back to the public, which there are still some cases. Uh, the public um, sector, I know the splits are difficult to understand. But nowadays, if there's a redress scheme, and there was a redress scheme, we under, we all see the advertising that goes with mm, that. There wasn't yes. this level of of, of attention given to it. It's, to the public. So, and, and finally, can I ask you, John, I mean, what are you hearing from the likes of Enda Kenny and Michael Noonan and uh, Eamon Gilmore? You know? what, what are you hearing from them? We, we contacted them all yesterday and they, um, they took various levels of, uh, of opportunity to respond. You, you know, um, Michael Noonan just said that he's retired from politics now and he, 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 he said that he wasn't quite sure what we were talking about. Um, others haven't responded in detail. Um, Brendan Howland, um, who was, was was in this cabinet and still an active uh, politician, said that you know he has been active in 
in, in, in wanting um, various committees to investigate a lot of this and that he wasn't, um, he wasn't briefed in depth at the time and didn't recall it. So, you know, um, but a lot of the people in, in historic nature are, are gone from politics, but Leo Bradker, Simon Harris, and Helen McEntee, who is, we, all, we all know, a lot of us know, is on um, maternity leave yes. at the moment, are active politicians, and they will have to respond in the dawn to this. There's been talk of a debate next week. I can't see that. I can't see the polling in Arsenal then. Uh, on this matter, it'll, it'll certainly be raised in the doll today. All right. Uh, John, we really appreciate your time this morning. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, John. You Thank you, and bye-bye to you now. Uh, always a pleasure. That's uh, John Lee from uh, the Irish Daily Mail there speak to us about what appears to me and uh, to many people indeed to be a very uh, explosive uh, revelation indeed and I'm wondering what you think about that 1800 938 007 text and WhatsApp 083 311 of course this week we've teamed up with the Talbot uh, Fitness Centre at the Talbot Hotel in Clanmill and uh, they are launching their Leisure Centre membership sale and we have a gift voucher for a month's uh, Leisure Centre uh, membership uh, to give away uh, today. And it's based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. If you put Talbot at the end of your contribution, we will pop you in the draw. It's as simple as that. We'll take a break back in a moment. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Regular contributor to the show, former teacher Noel Buckley highlighted on Twitter the litter problem in the Clanmel area. And uh, Noel joins me now. Good morning to you, Noel. Good morning, Fran. How are you? Good to talk to you today. You make the point in your Twitter posting, Noel, that from a bicycle seat, it's a good vantage point to see uh, the dreadful litter problem. And you posted some photographs on this. Very disappointing, isn't it? Uh, I think, uh, you know, when you're driving along in your car on country roads, you you don't see it because, number one, you're moving at speed and you're not at the same height, yeah. whereas when you're on a bicycle. And uh, it's just unbelievable. We we almost expect litter near urban centres, but these were out on country rural roads from Ben Bower down to Carrigan Shore, the Kilkenny Road back towards Kilsheel, and six and seven miles from urban centres, uh, along with the area where I live myself, Marlfield, which is close to an urban centre. I mean, the level of litter being thrown out car windows is just unbelievable. It's buried in hedgerows um, and where where it becomes really evident is if they've cut the hedgerow Mm. and suddenly all the vegetation is a sort of clear, you can see the amount of it that's buried and hedgerow. A farming friend of mine up up in Midtip was telling me who lives on a country road, he said the amount of rubbish that's thrown in over his ditch regularly that he has to pick up is just um, And is this largely takeaway stuff, Noel, or what is it? Well, it ranged from what I saw, it ranged from coke cans to plastic bottles to plastic wrapping to chip bags. It's, It's people driving by uh, flinging out stuff out their car they don't want to see their car as the waste bin and surely it's not uh, it, it, the interesting point I, I noticed was I, I came back, back up the, the blue way and there's no litter on the blue way um, 
because I think people are walking mm. and much more, I suppose, conscious of it. Uh, but so uh, the evidence would show most of this has been thrown from Carwin. Uh, There's never been as much education about litter and plastic and all of this stuff, Noel. So I'm, I'm wondering, how do you get around this, you know? Well, uh, interestingly, last year in the spring cleanup, which takes place in April uh, every year, 2,600 tonnes of rubbish were collected. That's just in Good one God. weekend of a spring cleanup. Now, most of those spring cleanups take place near urban or rural villages and so on. That's not even going out the country roads uh, to clean up. Um, but interestingly, in the area of the prairie, for instance, there's only four litter wards uh, mm. for the whole county. And the prairie, as you well know, Fran, is a very large county. Sure, and in yeah. fact, in the Clonmel area, only 13 litter fines were issued last year in contrast to the Nina area, 39. Now, that does not mean Clonmel is cleaner than Nina. Mm. Uh, it means there's less prosecution. And what we found in the Marlfield area, for instance, here in Clonmel, a nice little rural village just outside the town, there are what we would call people who regularly dispose of their household waste, uh, come out and throw it out uh, quietly, I suppose, at night time or sometime. And uh, the local people have to pick up that rubbish and you get black bags of it. And are you telling uh, me that local people would be aware who these are? Well, no. Unfortunately, I wish we were, right. because okay. we would certainly be naming them uh, to the council and asking mm. uh, action to be taken if they were. It's always done when we can't see it. But uh, you come along, for instance, I was only told just the uh, the, the looped walk above in Grange near Kilcooley Abbey. Uh, they've come on 42 bags of rubbish dumped there in the last week. Wow. 40. Wow. So if somebody consciously drove to a beautiful spot and dumped, and anybody who regularly walks the forest will find the same. Uh, the forest pathways very often somebody has driven in, dumped stuff out of the car. So you have two types. You have two types of people who dump rubbish. You have people who dump household waste in larger plastic bags, and that's a very conscious, deliberate act. Uh, but you also have people out of their own private cars. They're eating something, throw out the wrapping out the window, and I, I, I think they are probably not as conscious of the cumulative effect of all of that rubbish in our hedgerows. Um, I had the experience last week there um, helping uh, a a situation where we were cleaning out a room for an elderly person and there was plastic bags that had been in there for 10, 15 years. And what frightened me was how much they had deteriorated in those 10, 15 years. Into small, breaking down into smaller pieces. And you can see that in the hedgerow where the hedge flay has shredded some of the plastic. And what we need to realise as human beings is we're going to be consuming that in time because it's going to get into the ecosystem and Of course, yes. I remember a a personal example of that was that I remember many years ago, a a plastic bag, I was getting out of the car on a very windy day, plastic bag Mm. blew out of the car and blew up onto one of the high trees near the house. Mm. It was there for years and years and mm. years, you know. Mm. So it's it's. But it breaks down. It breaks down. You see, over time, uh, I, when I was teaching in the presentation secondary school here in Clonmel, rather than talk about litter um, waste and the importance of taking care in the environment, I used to fairly regularly take my students out on a litter pick 
around the area, yeah. uh, up up the Care Road area and, and, and down towards the old bridge and places. And number one, the students were saying, well, why should we have to do this? Uh, that was the first question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the, the second one, by the time they were finished their half hour of litter picking, they just couldn't believe the amount of rubbish that was dumped around. And even dog owners very often they collect the dog fowl but uh, we found it thrown into hedgerows and thrown behind walls. Oh, you can't in, in be the, serious. In the plastic bag. In the plastic bag. So uh, they, they would have been better off to leave the poo there than do that. Well, at least it would biodegrade in a non-plastic environment. I know it's not nice on the footpath. Of course, Now, yes. most dog owners, in fairness, bring it home and dispose of it or dispose of it in the nearest rubbish bin. Yeah. But uh, we have a problem in this country as well that a lot of people don't have... Uh, refuse bin they don't want to pay the charges mm. uh, and so on but but it is it is the culture of what i call the throwaway culture and the, the problem is you can have all the litter wardens in the world but they can't do yeah. anything about guys fling or, or ladies as well flinging stuff out mm. the window of a car they can't police that no they can't in fairness but i i think we you know we need regular ad campaigns a simple thing like that of of a, of a, even a child saying to a parent in a car don't fling that out you're damaging our planet or whatever mm. regularly bringing to people's minds uh, we found that for instance when the health campaign went on on, on identifying the symptoms of a stroke mm. uh, it had a massive effect on people re- re- recognizing and acting fast and and regular ad campaigns do that Yes, but unfortunately, you don't see those. You'll see a massive campaign now in the month of April during the spring clean, and that'll be it for the year. Uh, yeah, how you 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 travel regularly, Noel? How do we compare it to to other countries? Do you think we're dirty? Are we? <laughs> we're we're very very dirty. Um, in, and part of it is as well the level of plastic that has now permeated. I mean, you go into any supermarket and see the amount of wrapping on yeah, yeah. Uh, vegetables, fruit, things that were never wrapped before in plastic are now wrapped. You buy your three lemons in, in that netting and um, the work. So I think as consumers, we have to start saying to the supermarket, no, we don't want that wrapping. And I, I would appeal to people shopping to leave the wrapping behind you at the cash register. Yes. And if enough, if enough of people did that, it might change the culture in the supermarket. Uh, Brendan was on to us. He said, I'm a cyclist as well. I cycle all the rural roads. It's the very same in North Tipperary. So, I mean, this isn't just oh, in your is. own area of South and Tip around Clonmel there. Yep. It, and it's not just in Tipperary. It's yep. probably nationally. Uh, we just, we're just seeing the evidence in our yep. own county. And, and I think cyclists are more aware of it than anybody else because we can see the evidence in the ditches. Yeah. And uh, I think local communities, please God, when the spring scene happens in April, one thing worth doing, uh, if every village in the country started to travel out along their rural roads and pick up the rubbish and bring it back to some central place in the village and leave it there for people to see this is the amount of rubbish that was dumped in our area. And uh, farmers often get uh, bad press, but they're the ones that very often have to pick it up when it's thrown in over the ditch. Yeah, for sure. Noel, yeah. thank you. As I say, I'm looking at the screen here. We're getting lots and lots of examples of this mm. happening all around the county, for sure. Thanks mm. for talking to us, Noel. Be but, safe uh, out there. Could I just say, could I just say Fran, mm-hmm. uh, could I appeal to parents uh, and, and teenagers and that families to just educate each other 
bring home your rubbish in the car. You have a rubbish bin at home. Do not destroy our beautiful countryside. All right, Noel, thanks very much okay, indeed. Thank Mr. you. Good, and, uh, good morning to you. Thomas says, Fran, you could furnish your sitting room on the road between Ballinour and Horse and Jockey. Table, chair, armchairs, etc. on the road. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Most European countries record deaths within a week, but with its three-month window, um, Ireland is seriously out of step here. An analysis of RIP.ie death notices published in the Irish Examiner uh, shows there were 9,718 death notices published in the eight weeks up to January 25th. That's up 20% on the same uh, period last year and 19.5% on the same period in uh, 2021. Now, the figure in 2019, before the pandemic began, was nearly 3,000 lower than this year. And to leader, Padre Tobin joins me now. Padre, good morning to you. Good morning to you. And really good to talk to you today. You're calling for an investigation into the increase in death rates, Padre. Yes, indeed. The, the figures that you have uh, highlighted there are just absolutely incredible. So, you know, in that short period of time, that eight-week period, uh, up to January 5th, and uh, if you compare it, you know, from this year, the previous year, and before the pandemic, there was a 3,000 more deaths uh, happened um, this year than before the pandemic. And even more deaths are happening now than during COVID. Um, and this chimes with a lot of other research that we have done. Um, so we've been speaking to people in city morgues, uh, in you know um, uh, the parish priests in, in certain areas, um, people who are working um, you know, in, in these types of, of, of areas, undertakers, mortuaries, and they have said that they have never seen such an amount of people coming through who have died. Um, priests have told us <clears throat> that they've had to put on two funerals a day in, in, in areas that normally there'd be only maybe two or three funerals a week uh, happening. Um, and also, <clears throat> if you look into the figures produced by Eurostat, they have shown um, that July had a 16% increase in deaths. August saw a 17% increase in deaths. Indeed, last August was the fifth highest month for deaths since before COVID started. So, you know, everybody was obviously rightly concerned with the shocking spike in deaths Mm. during COVID. But the figures we're seeing now are parallel to those uh, in terms of of numbers. And the CSO released figures, which showed that quarter two in 2022 saw a 40% increase in deaths on the same period the year previously. So these are, you know, incredibly high figures. Now, obviously, we've <clears throat> been trying to dig down to find out why is this the case. So we've, we've spoken to um, the Central Statistics Office. They have said that maybe some of these figures are increased because in, in their figures because of um, it takes 12 weeks to register deaths in this uh, country. And also we had uh, COVID, which slowed processes down, and we had the cyber attack. Um, we spoke to the Health, Health Protection Surveillance Centre, um, and they said that you know maybe there's still COVID in, in, in circulation, etc. But we were surprised that everybody was answering us with the word maybe. And I, I asked those organisations, surely it shouldn't be a maybe. Didn't know what's going on. Um, surely we should have a proper investigation into what's happening. You know, when these types of figures were seen during COVID, the country was locked down as a response. 
We're seeing similar figures now. And there's crickets from the government in terms of a response. Um, so, you know, we, we, we're very, very cautious and, and very worried about this. Uh, in my own view, um, some of the reasons why this could be happening is because during COVID, obviously, the government made decisions to close down uh, cancer services, both diagnosis um, and treatment. Heart disease wasn't treated um, in the same way as well because hospitals were were, were working at, at, at a different level. Stroke, mental health and a lot of other life-threatening illnesses just didn't get treated the way they should have uh, during COVID. And what we might be seeing now is starting to wash through the system in many ways. During COVID, we heard of senior consultants telling us that there would be a tidal wave of far more advanced cancers Mm. uh, hitting society uh, if the services remained half closed at that time. I think that's one of the reasons why we might be seeing the excess death. Yeah, Professor Ivan Perry of UCC was linking the excess deaths to like flu and respiratory illnesses. But I mean, that doesn't explain what was happening back in the summer. No, and and, and in truth, we, we, it shouldn't be a maybe situation, you know, and it shouldn't be up to me or you know, any professor to come on and to give their opinion of why this is happening. It should be up to the government to carry out a deep investigation. Well, Pater, we're relying on RIP.ie for statistics, for God's sake, you know. It's incredible. Like, even the fact that we have, it takes up to 12 weeks to register a death uh, in this country is incredible. Like, we see ourselves as this kind of tech island, you know what I mean, where we, you know, we have the highest level of tech and we invite these companies to this country. Reality, most of the actual technology we use um, to record what's happening in our health service is way out of date. And, you know, we don't even have proper uh, systems in the HSC to collect information. And so we're, we're like the government have a responsibility now to make sure that they know what's happening so we can we can react to it. Mm. You know, if, if necessary, we can you know put the necessary investments into further diagnostics or uh, treatments for people with cancers, uh, etc. It, it shouldn't be left mm. for people to surmise or speculate uh, on radio shows, unfortunately. But what, wasn't there an attempt to um, to have deaths reported in a much shorter time there some, some while back? Yeah, well, there there is like there, the likes of ourselves and other organisations have been putting the governments to improve the, the technology when it comes to recording health outcomes. So, for example, in in the north of Ireland, um, they can tell basically what happens each patient that has cancer, and um, so each patient, you know, will have a. Uh, patient number <clears throat> and their outcomes, their treatment, you know, their longevity of life mm. will be recorded, and they can. That's obviously beneficial for the individual patient, but they can also record that information on a population-wide basis, and they can say for sure that certain interventions in terms of services that they're providing, um, you know, are leading to outcomes in the population in general. And um, in this state, we can't do that. You know, the the actual you can't track a patient's outcomes right through their lives in this state because they don't have a, a, a patient number. And remember, like one of the major frustrations about this for me was um, every day about 450 people um, get cancer in this state, an incredibly high figure. Um, and every day, unfortunately, well over 25 people uh, die of cancer in this state. Um, now, COVID, you know, was affecting many people, especially the very old and the very infirm. Um, But the government basically decided to uh, semi-shut down the cancer services 
um, in favour of the other health services around COVID. And we made that argument that that was wrong. Like I had, I suppose, skin in the game at the time in that I had skin cancer uh, at the start of COVID myself. And I was uh, seeking treatment and I could see, you know, from talking to uh, consultants that, you know, their maybe waiting lists that were maybe two years long had gone to six years long because they couldn't see as many patients because of all the different restrictions that were happening. Uh, and I could see that certain diagnostics were closing, that uh, breast screening, for example, you know, was shut down for a long period of time and, and still hasn't returned to its its, its full yeah. tilt uh, in relation to the backlog that it had. Um, and but but no, even no, countries who didn't shut down as profoundly as we did where, where those services uh, are concerned, they're still seeing a huge... Uh, increase in death rates as well. So there are. If, if, if you look at the monthly excess uh, mortality rates, um, countries such as Germany, um, Ireland, um, Finland, uh, Austria, Netherlands, they're the worst countries in terms of the excess death rates. Interestingly, Sweden has a far lower uh, excess death rate, and obviously Sweden shut down for far less. It still has an excess death rate for sure. Well, it's less, yeah. And uh, the, 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 the thing about it is, I suppose, in the absence of statistics and the absence of information, there's a vacuum there that can be filled by conspiracy uh, as well. Does that concern you, Pater? It does. And I've been asked by many people to, to, to just go out and say that X, Y and Z has caused this. Um, yes. And my attitude is that, you know, Aintu is an evidence-based political party. And, and we want to make sure that our policy is developed on fact and figures and evidence. Mm. And, you know, I have I've an economics degree and I don't have a science degree. Yes. So I'm not going to come on to any radio show or television show and, you know, definitively uh, identify what I think is the cause, the root cause of these difficulties. Um, but, but, but do you have you your know, own thoughts on this? I do have my own thoughts, and I, I, I do think, obviously, the closure of health services has to have an effect. Yes. And the fact that, it, you know, people, in, you know, professors and, you know, experts in, in this, when it was happening in real time, and now that we're seeing some effects, leads me to believe that that is a, a, an evidence-based conclusion. The, the elephant of the room has to be vaccination, and where do you stand on that? Yeah, listen, my view on, on vaccination was that uh, it was up to each person to make their own decision uh, in relation to vaccines. Um, interestingly enough, I had a I, I had the vaccinations myself, but I had a, a, um, a negative effect in relation to myself, and that's the side of my face actually suffered from uh, Bell's palsy uh, for a number of days uh, after I had the vaccine. Um, but many people who were older, who... Um, health was uh, very, very threatened. Obviously, those people, you know, were benef- benefited significantly uh, in relation to uh, taking the vaccine. So, um, you know, it, there are questions in relation to the level of due diligence that was carried out in advance uh, of it. We asked questions of the government uh, in relation to what would happen in terms of um, court cases that we were brought against mm. the state in the same way that court cases were brought against the state and, uh, around the swine flu vaccine. And um, the, the government basically said that they were going to 
identify the vaccination yes. companies. We thought that was a mistake, uh, given the, the fact that the government, again, hadn't carried out uh, much research uh, on the vaccine at the time. But m- my view on this is I'm not going to make a determination in any ways in relation to the cause of these excess deaths. Right. It would be absolutely wrong and foolish for me of to Of course, so. but as, as you're well aware, anecdotally, we're hearing about a lot of unexplained heart disease and heart problems and, uh, you know, heart attacks killing often people who appear to be healthy, you know, so... Yeah, no, no, listen... The, no, and the, I realise that's anecdotal, but anyway... There's difficulties here, and that's why we in Aintu are demanding that there's an investigation to what's happened. Okay. My worry is the reason why the government is not investigation is the government made the decisions in the first place to close down many of these health services and that if there's an investigation there would be seen to be culpability on behalf of the government for the decisions that they made. And and that plays into what I'd love to ask you about as well, uh, culpability. I mean, the state's legal strategy to limit refunds on, on illegal nursing home charges, for example. That's all over the newspapers for the last couple of days now as well. And, you know, there's uh, the teacher coming out to say he didn't know about this and uh, in the mail again today, it seems to contradict that in some way. What, what do you make of all of this? Yeah, it's, it's very, very sad. Um, I, I just think in, in this country, first of all, um, the people who are most vulnerable are often left the most exposed. Um, and, you know, the... The, the issue around uh, nursing homes has is, is always been very, very fraught. Um, and the idea that we had low-income families, many of them with medical cards, um, etc., who are having difficulties getting nursing homes um, for their loved ones in their time of need. Um, and, you know, many of them having difficulties in terms of just um, whether they could get a public one or a private one. You know, it's, I think at this stage it's very clear that senior government officials, um, you know, made a strategy, um, since 2011 to limit the refunds in nursing homes and uh, f- fees, um, over that 30-year period, and I think that again, the light of day needs to be shown in this. Um, transparency is key to good governance. When there's no transparency you have decisions like this being made. And what we want is for the state records uh, on these charges published and uh, so that people can see exactly what decisions were made and who made them. Is this another example of the permanent government really being in charge when it comes to something like this? I, I couldn't agree more with you. I think one of the biggest problems we have in this state is that we have political parties who, you know, many of them are, are career politicians and um, who, you know, come into departments and they're surrounded by people with PhDs and people with degrees and people with 30 or 40 years experience in these areas. They don't necessarily have a strong moral or political compass in terms of what they want to achieve. And those politicians end up, let's say, running on the conveyor belts created by the the, the permanent government. And, um, you know, they, they end up, you know, pushing through legislation that's not theirs. Uh, reading press statements that, that that are written for them by the public servants. Um, and that's why when we, I think, elect a government, we need to elect a government with a real moral and, you know, uh, ideological compass, a, 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 you know, politicians who really want to achieve a certain objective and who are going to fight and take on, you know, the um, the permanent uh, high civil servants in this country. It's um, It's definitely one of the major difficulties that we have in relation to good governance and uh, it needs to be tackled like in in my view you know and into has said this publicly that if a senior public servant doesn't do his job 
uh, in terms uh, of for, you know implementing ministerial decisions, well then that's a uh, senior public servant should lose their job. And um, like we have this incredible situation in the HSC where the HSC basically on, re on a regular basis gives the two fingers to the Minister for Health. And um, you know I've, I've heard you know the CE of CEO of, of the HSC go on radio and say that the Minister for Health is wrong and they're going to proceed with their decision anyways. Now in a proper functioning democracy, you know, the elected representatives are elected by the people, direct the public servants to what to do. When the public servants are directing the elected representatives in what to do, well, that's an inversion of a proper democracy. And it's one of the reasons why we have um, such a basket case in the HSE year after year. Pander Tobin, thank you so much for your time today. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Good thank morning you to you and to leader Pander Tobin speaking to us there. 1800 News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Welcome back to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's the free phone number and uh, Emma is at the far side there to take your call. As well as that, we have the lovely prize for you. Uh, we've teamed up with Talbot Fitness at the Talbot Hotel in Clanmel and they are launching their Leisure Centre membership sale. And by way of celebration of all of that, they've given us uh, a month's membership to give away every day this week. It's based on your interaction with us by WhatsApp at, and uh, text. If you want to put Talbot at the end of your contribution, we'll pop you in the draw just before the end of the programme. Now, we spoke last week about the ongoing division created in Templemore over a proposed new housing development. Well, our reporter, Alison, uh, last week was speaking to Seamus, uh, who first raised the issue with us, and she promised to go there and seek for herself and speak to people involved, and that's where she joins us from right now. So, Ali, good morning to you. Good morning, Fran. Yeah, I'm here um, in the square in Templemore, just outside the Drapers, formerly known as Shorts, with a large group of people, it has to be said. I was coming here this morning expecting just to meet a couple of people who might uh, want to voice their opposition to this proposed development, but it has mm. to be said, this campaign is getting huge support. And the man who we have to say started this and made contact with us in the beginning is Seamus Hassey. And Seamus is here with me as well this morning. Seamus, just for, I'm sure most people are aware, but at this stage, give us the background to this development and the concerns that, that you and a lot of other people have with it. Yeah, good morning, Ellie. Seamus here. Um, look, I just want to start off by saying that um, the meeting that we had last Wednesday night, we, we had two days to put it together. We had absolutely huge support, to be fair. There was over 100 people there, you know. So like, there is a lot of concerns about this, you know, but where did it come from? You know, why was this site chosen? You know, there's, there's a lot of questions that need to be asked here, like, you know what I mean, yeah. you know. And, like, look, to be fair about it, the whole town is getting railroaded, but it's the local residents here on the main street are getting absolutely railroaded with this. And we just want answers. We just want to see, you know, can we talk to somebody about it? Can we can we rejig the plans a bit? You know, is there something that we can do as a community and especially as local residents to... to, to like, we all want this to work, yes, but we want to look at it from a different planning angle, you know, yeah. so. And I spoke to you last Thursday, the night after that meeting, and I know you said you were surprised at the number of people that came that had concerns, and a lot of people didn't even know about this development. Has that been gaining momentum since that meeting still? Are people still contacting you with looking for information on it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, as I said, like there's, there's the local residents here, like, like to be fair about it, like we didn't know that there was a three-story getting put up a park lane. Um, I said the other day on the radio there was a guy six doors down and he's, he had no information about anything ever, even from day one, do you know? So 
like look there needs to be a bit more transparency transparency here about what's going on do you know what I mean so we can all see it for what it is like you know what I mean you know? and just see just see can we can we take a look at it and maybe you know go back to our original bungalow plan, bungalow plan that nobody had a problem with and just take it from there and just, just let it evolve from there do you know instead of just local residents getting railroaded Templemore as a community getting railroaded by losing the parklands you know so that's kind of where the whole thing is at the moment like and uh, just I know we're, we're going to hear other people's stories um, in a couple of minutes but just from your own perspective you're hoping to um, develop your old family home, the old post office here as well. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, look, it's been in our family for over 80 years, you know. Um, and, like, look, the, the, the villain is kind of very run down there at the minute. So, you know, slowly but surely, I'm going in there in the evenings and the weekends and I'm, I'm rebuilding it as I go, you know. Like, yeah. I'm starting from scratch and away I go, you know. So, at the end of the day, this is for my family, like, you know what I mean? You know, it's for, it's for, my, it's for my community, you know what I mean? Like, just to... Just to just to see can we can we tidy up the, the front end of the town like you know yeah. so that's where I am with the whole thing like and how will this development impact your plans yeah no it will um, yeah it will because like we're, like we're all going to be overlooked our privacy is gone our, our sunlight is gone um, you know all the rest of the stuff that goes to that it's, 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 it's the sheer size and scale of this building is going to upset myself and all the local residents yeah and that's one thing actually that i spotted um because the plans are up in one of the windows and the scale of it is absolutely enormous and another neighbor who will be affected is kathleen cummins who's also here kathleen i know you're you're speaking on behalf of your mother as well who lives next door to seamus how would this development impact on your lives good morning i'm here to represent the residents of the main street affected by the proposed development my family home is one of the houses affected this has been in our family name over 130 years. My mother, aged 78, lives here and has for 60 years. She is the longest living resident on the street and one of the oldest. If the proposed development is approved, the residents will lose light and privacy. The lane known as Pickford Lane, which is a cul-de-sac, provides driving access to 10 residents to the rear of our premises and has been used for 130 years by our family and is today regularly used for deliveries of necessities such as fuel and household items. And Kathleen, if the if that changes and they use the lane, what what is the the plans for that lane? Is that they use it for pedestrian access? Is it? The the new development proposed using it for pedestrian access from the new development to the main street. And the residents there would still use that to drive up and down. So the danger is that um, it, it puts pedestrians at risk by, by cars coming up there. Is that it? That's it. We have to drive the lane. We need to drive the lane. We're using it for 130 years. We need to use this lane to get fuel for and to get household items. Yeah. For example, like if we need a new fridge, a new cooker in the morning, how can we get access to our house for it? Our family members drive that lane regularly with a car and a trailer and have done for 130 years. You brought me up Pigford Lane um, just to, to have a look at it. It is a very narrow laneway, but as well as that, the scale of the development completely cuts off any sunlight, not just to, to Seamus's house, but also your house as well, and all down along. Oh, the, our natural light will be gone, so it will. And I mean, I believe, so I do, that the basic necessities of life are light and heat. If the, this development was to be allowed, we'd be losing light and we couldn't get deliveries of fuel for heat. Yeah. What do they expect us to take? We are very much in favour of development of, at this site and in 2019 we met with the committee and agreed their proposals for bungalows. There was no mention at this time of pedestrianising in any way access from the development through Pickford Lane. The committee, they're all members of our community and without further consultation they submitted the plans for three-storey and two-storey housing on this site which has led to low morale in the community. 
Okay. Kathleen, thanks for talking to us. Now, Maura Byrne is here as well, and Maura is a local nurse. And Maura, you raised some interesting concerns with us, and that's it. If this development goes ahead, um, and the plan is that it would be mostly elderly people, as I understand it, who'd be living there, which I'm sure nobody would object to, but you have concerns about how you would access people in need of medical care on the third floor in particular. Absolutely. Um, initially, this the bungalows were purpose, going to be purpose-built for the elderly, and for the disabled. And this is the function of the community development group. This was the pur original purpose. Now, if there's going to be, um, if there's going to be um, a major fire in this building, there's one lift. We all know that li a lift has to be shut down if there's a fire. If we have elderly or even a very sick person on the top floor and we need to get access to them to evacuate them from the second floor, even the third floor, that access, if there's a delay in access, we're going to lose lives. There's no doubt about it. You'll have smoke inhalation, you'll have people in wheelchairs with walking aids, with uh, even a stick. They will not be able to get out. No fire personnel will be able to enter. Can you imagine if we had um, a match up the park, as we have? We have competitions over the year in the park. You can imagine the park, the town hall, the town yard here, the town itself, all the cars, all the cars up around the park. No fire brigade, no ambulance, no EMT will be able to get in unless we're able to fly them in from a helicopter. It is absolutely ridiculous and shameful to think that this building is going up. There, and no communication with the people here of this town, particularly the residents. Everybody at the original meeting gave complete backup and we're delighted to have the building going ahead as a bungalow, and that would end up with 12. We now seem to have moved on from 12 people into 65 bedrooms in this new build. Do you feel like you've been hoodwinked on it? There's no doubt about it. When you think that the second plans went in the Christmas week, I mean, who sends in plans on the 22nd of December when everybody's out shopping? Who's going to keep note of that? Where are we going to see it? The biggest problem here is that the development group did not come back and communicate with the people here in Templemore. Yeah. That is a did they attend the meeting last week? Sorry? Did they attend the meeting last week? No, they did not. Absolutely not. Were they asked to? I'm not 100% sure on that. They were, yeah, they were asked. Okay. But if you wanted to get the backing of the people, certainly you'd come in, come in and communicate with the people. Absolutely. And I mean, if, there are con if people have concerns, surely it's their role to address those concerns. I might go to uh, Liam. Uh, where's Liam? Ah, uh, Liam, you're with the Pitch and Pot. Now, you have concerns as well for the local sporting groups around and, and predominantly are supposed to do with access to the park. Tell me about your concerns. The concerns would be that... Uh the pre-planning that has to go into hosting All-Ireland or Provincial Championships, that'll be Pitch and Putter Athletics, um, which hosts them events nearly every year. Um, the congestion that will cause um, the potential closing off, potential closing off of the entry from the main street and everything is diverted then through Park Road, Marion Road. Could you tell me, what, what is the plan for this? I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with that laneway to the park. Under this proposal, what would change with that laneway? Well, to, they're proposing to widen it, which in itself and a finished job will be good. I'm, I won't deny it is good when a finished job, but the potential closing off of it yeah. and the access to the park and to the facilities up there for the sporting organisations. If you were an athletic meeting, you're talking about 
100 or 200 cars extra yeah. and it would appear at best they're supplying seven extra parking spaces and during development uh, you're talking about 50 or 80 people possibly working in there yeah. where are they going to park yeah. so it is a knock-on effect during it now it might be down the lower scale and covered under planning conditions but nevertheless there's still the lack of consultation at yeah. least would help you in your plans for the coming year for your if you're allowed to be pitch and putt or athletics and just to give people maybe that image in their heads of the scale of it a lot of people would be familiar with the playground i think how is it down as far as the playground well it is bordering so yeah. there's the whole um probably health and safety as was or child welfare so you can can try and bring in all you like into it but this 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 an issue can be an issue for some parents of kids down there you know so yeah. and i would with the council being involved as this kind of a silent partner who will have to say what residents yeah. will go into it so and i hate to sound scare morgan but that's that's, that's the reality as you see reality, it. that's the reality and of course the local residents of course yeah. they, they should be first at least they should have been the decency of consulting with them. Yeah. And speaking of the council, Councillor Michael Smith is here as well with us this morning. Um, Councillor Smith, I know you're, you're probably facing a lot of fire in relation to this, but what's your reaction to it? Were you shocked at the scale of it and, and how it seemed to be kind of slid in under everyone's noses over Christmas? Well, I attended a meeting last Wednesday and I have to say there was a real sense of frustration at that meeting um, because there's a common thread by all your contributions here this morning and that is I suppose the lack of communication and the lack of transparency throughout this whole process and the development um, and the voluntary association they're fantastic people and I know when they met three years ago the plans were so welcome and they were embraced by the people within this town and I think we have an opportunity here to make this an even better plan for the people because it's such a sensitive site, it's in the town centre, it's vacant and it needs development and we all welcome that development. But these people now feel that they have to put in a submission to Tipperary County Council to have their views and their expressions when this should have been done at an earlier stage. And I, I remember when Lions Trust in Torres when they were developing uh, the Stanick House, when they were developing the Monastery Close those developments were all brought to the local councillors. We were able to answer questions and last Wednesday night there was questions posed to myself and Councillor Eddie Moran and we didn't, we didn't have the answers unfortunately. But you know, we all want to support the community. This is a very tight-knit community. We all want to work together to ensure that this is a development that we're proud of. We'll only get one chance at this. Yeah. We have to get it right. For everybody that used it, whether it be the athletic club, the GA, people who want to take a walk, take the family out. It's important that we get this right and if we don't will, for years to come we will regret it. Are you frustrated that you weren't included and yourself and anymore and weren't included in the consultation about this? Well I think any time that you go and you meet the public and it was a very open meeting and questions were asked of us, we just felt that we didn't have the answers and when we, when we were representing the people and when we are asked those questions you know I think it would have been more helpful because the people on the committee, and they're good friends of mine, they are trying to get the best for the town. But in the absence of, of that communication, in the absence of transparency, 
you are going to have people who are going to ask very genuine questions like you have got here this morning. So it's in the planning stage now. What's going to happen is, and I know there's a number of observations that have already been submitted to Tipperary County Council, and I have no doubt there will be more. But it's up to Tipperary County Council and the planning officials to get this right, to ensure that the centre of the town is protected and that it can only grow and enhance, because that's what we all want. Can you tell us what is the, the protocol then for that? Is there a certain number of submissions or objections that have to be received or how does that process work? Well, as of today, um, people are allowed to put in submissions. The closing date is today. So it, it, it really doesn't matter, I suppose, the volume of them. It is more so the, the, the quality and, and, you know, like has been expressed today in relation to Pickford Lane, in relation to light, and I suppose in relation to the overall plan that was brought three years ago and the changes that have been made. They all need to be articulated, to be wrote down, and for planners then to look at it. And I have no doubt Tipperary County Council will forensically go through this plan to ensure that all those submissions are looked at thoroughly and that everybody is protected. And I would assume, and I, I don't want to make any assumptions, but should planning be granted, it would then maybe be subject to an onboard planola review. So this could be uh, a very long process. Well, listen, Alia, you're, no, you're, you're very welcome here to have more today, but I don't think we want to go down that road. I think we want to take, you know, like the community, let's work together and take this step by step. It's yeah. going through the planning process. We have to allow that. Now, there wasn't the opportunity for, for more consultation. I've said that's regrettable, but we have to work together now to ensure that the submissions go in and that all these views are articulated, that are put down on paper, sent into Tipperary County Council, and hopefully the next time you come to more, we'll have uh, a better result, maybe. Yeah. No, thank you. And I appreciate you coming down because you're I know welcome. it's not easy and, and you're getting a lot of questions. I might just go around. There are people here who didn't say they might talk, but I might just grab a few. What's your own name? Peter Kennedy. And Peter, how do you feel about this proposed development? I live in there in the park and I would be concerned in relation to how long this project would continue. Uh, it would affect the town in, in a big way, the movements of all the sports facilities that are in the park. Yeah. And this, this could go on for a long length of time. So it's the construction of it you'd be concerned about? I would, yes. The construction yeah. I would, considering that, OK, I'm the man in Templemore that's lost the land uh, to the OPW. We have the OPW in town for the past six years and still no sign of them going away. And nobody rose a flag nor nothing. Templemore has lost so much. It's great to see the people come out here and take their town, take the interest in the town with a major project like that going to happen. Yeah. And we've lost two banks... We lost the swimming pool. We're petitioning outside the garage barracks to swim. We lost our swimming pool. Would you feel like you'd be losing with this development? Sorry? Do you feel like you'd be losing with this development? Well, I would think that it may, it may not enhance the park. Yeah. That's what I'd be afraid And that's of. where it could suffer. Yes. Um, I might run around again. I know Breda uh, is living next door. Breda. Breda, would you have a quick word just about how this will affect you? I know we spoke to your daughter, Kathleen. Prefer not to. Well, are you very crossovers? Very annoyed. Very annoyed that it's going to interfere with my lane, my right of way, my privacy. That I've been there over 60 years. The family's been there over 100 years. We've been in and out. As you can see, you can't get a car in there and a pedestrian. In Pickford no Lane? In Pickford Lane. Yeah. No way. And it was on behind her back, and I am very annoyed, yes. I understand. Now, just to, to finish up, I might go uh, with Seamus again. Oh, sorry, we're going. Is it Dave? 
Dave, give us your views on it. What's your take on it? Well, look, I suppose everyone has covered pretty much everything. And I'm, you know, it's a monstrosity of a, of a, of a plan. Um, the original plan, everyone was behind for the bungalows. The Templemore Voluntary uh, Housing Organisation was set up solely for the elderly and disabled people. So there, I, if someone can answer the question, how is a three-storey building acceptable for the disabled and elderly community? And I'm sure that they would say that that's exactly what they're trying to do. They're trying to get a lot of accommodation into the centre of Templemore, which would benefit older people in the community and benefit the town centre. True, but how is, say, someone in, in a wheelchair, someone in their 80s and 90s, there's one lift in the building if... Then the, like they don't want to be going in and out of, of a lift all day long. If the lift is broken, they can't use the stairs. So yeah. it's not it's not suitable at all. Bungalows, absolutely, everyone's for that. But like a three-story in the centre of town, it's just it's not it's not acceptable. Yeah. So. And that thanks, Dave. And that seems to be at the core of a lot of people's frustration is the scale, the sheer scale and size of this development. So, Seamus, to finish where it all began, then with yourself. What's next? I know deadline for submissions is this Friday, I believe. Yeah, it's the third of the second. Um, so, yeah, it is a, getting coming close to the end of the week. Um, so, look, at, the key here is, is to get as many submissions as we can get into the council as possible. Just just to shake this, just to make them aware that, you know, like there's, there's, there's a lot of people in the community that um, you know, fully support the idea behind this, but they're just very cautious about putting, you know, three stories and two stories up a park lane. Um, and how that's going to affect, you know, our, our, you know, our park that was gifted to us, you know, our park lane that was gifted to us. Like everybody in Templemore owns the park. Everybody in Templemore owns the park lane. We all have a fair share in it. It's ours. It's it's the people's. Yeah. Do you know, so I said, like a lot of people are kind of a bit upset that we have, we now have, um, uh, you know, people who are trying to push the town up into the park. Do you know? I, I, yeah. And what, what's, you know, where's that going to lead to after that? Another couple of years time again. Like, to be fair about it, it's the park that we need to be focused on here. You know, like we need to make the park, you know, nicer and be like it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful as is. Like, but it should be given more free land, more free space. Do you know, instead of taking it away, taking it away, taking it away. Because you know, if you, you know, if we start marching houses up along the park lane, they're going to be marched somewhere else. After that, they're going to be marched somewhere else. Like, you know what I mean, you know, and slowly but surely, the town will just become over dominated. Like, you know what I mean, you know, when we can all sit down and talk and you know make it work for everybody and, and i think that's at the heart of it all is just communication and transparency so fran that's where i leave it today here in the square in temple moor you've heard the concerns in a story that i'm sure will rumble on i'm sure it will indeed ali thanks very much indeed for that and thanks to uh, everybody who turned up to chat to Ali this morning in uh, Templemore. Now, just to point out that last week we did receive a statement from the Templemore Voluntary Housing Association and in that statement they made the point that like many building projects, the plan has evolved from its inception and in response to various criteria, including the requirements of state authorities who fund our building work and who have very strict guidelines on the densities required. Without the funding provided by such authorities, the project proposed even where planning permission to be granted will not be possible. Now, they went on to say in the statement, what has not changed is the commitment of Templemore Voluntary Housing Association. And they also tell us that the board of the Housing Association uh, believe the planning application process is the proper form where detailed plans submitted can be viewed, concerns and observations made and objections lodged if desired. All this will be independently adjudicated by the planning authority. Now, they're making the way that while the process is uh, underway, they believe that it would not be helpful to engage in uh, public uh, meetings at this time. But they have agreed to a public meeting at a later 
date. So that's a statement we received on the 24th. But I said I would just bring the essence of that to you uh, once again following uh, that report from Templemore this morning. 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp 83 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Now, you're very welcome back to uh, Tip Today. Caroline is in Templemore and she says there's a big section of street in Patrick Street with uh, nothing behind it and a three-storey would work very well there. Uh, and leave the bungalow to the shorts development, it says. Okay, well, um, I'm not sure about that particular area. Somebody else making the point that, you know, already existing in that area are three-storey buildings, but you see, they've been there for generations, and this is a brand new development, and that's what's um, causing concern to the people, well, some of the people in Templemore. Now, I'm glad to be joined by Karen Prendergast, who was our interior designer. Good morning to you, Karen. Good morning, Fred. Nice to see you today. And you've come in brandishing all sorts of colour charts and everything. Mood and boards and colour charts and <laughs> colour swatches. and. See, I'm colour blind now, so you're going to have to help me a lot with uh... this. You know, um, you're going to talk to us about colour today, then. And have you have you some ongoing projects that you're? I have ongoing projects to? all the time, and I suppose it, not even making reference to a particular project, but the same colour schemes are tending to come up again. Lots of people want blue, uh, lots of people want green. Maybe a lot of people are repainting their kitchens, which is massive, or refacing them, changing the doors, yes. especially repainting if they've got a a kitchen that's in really good nick, and if a person has an island unit. They want the island unit a different colour. A different colour? That's really, really trendy at the minute. Wow. So today I've come up with a few colour schemes mm-hmm. that I can share the, the name of the colours. And if people want to Google them, they can Google them. Um, also, if they want to follow me on Instagram or Facebook, or Facebook, mm. this, you know, different colour schemes up on that as well. Right. So very good indeed. Um, I so suppose, what, what colours are in, Karen? So if what? I show you this one. Okay. For instance, so if this were to be an island unit and kitchen presses, so say someone had oak or pine or cream presses and they wanted to change them completely, mm. they could go for a colour scheme like this one. Right, so can so, you describe those colours for me? Yeah, then? so the first one is a grey colour mm-hmm. uh, and it's a light grey and it's called, it's called Winter's Breath. Mm-hmm. So, and a really good colour to go with that if somebody wanted a dark medium to a dark blue on an island unit or wanted to pick out a piece of furniture is muscle. Muscle. Okay. So it's winter's breath and muscle. Right. Now if go- people Google those they get the brand they'll name the of brand, the paint. Get the brand right, name as well. And okay. another way that they could be used for any is this could be used on the fireplace wall or the head of the bed wall. Mm-hmm. And the winter's breath and the muscle could be used on the other three right. walls. Now that's a that's a big contrast. It's from it dark is a big to contrast. light, isn't it? Yeah. And again some people want a big contrast mm. and then others don't so that's where mm. the interior designer comes in to help them yes so another one that is really popular at the moment is different shades of green mm. so again i've taken the same wall color which is winter's bread yeah and i've put it with a green which is called grease vert and there's another really really good green that mm-hmm. i'm using at the moment and it's called standing tall so this is a light gray Along with the green, is that it? Well, can you see when I have the two mood boards one beside the other? I can. That they look slightly different. Mm-hmm. The one with the green brings out more of the green in oh, the winter's right. breath and the one with the 
blue beside it takes oh, out I a little see, bit of blue, but they're the same colour. Right, it's very interesting, isn't, isn't it? it? Yeah, yeah. How one colour can bring out the yeah. other colour. Yeah. And you can see with that also, I put some um, carpet samples and some Roman blind or curtain samples as well. So it's nice. You can almost see the room, can't you, on the mood board? Absolutely. Yeah. It's uh, yeah. It looks lovely. Looks lovely. So and again, you you say, I mean, are you telling me? Okay, you go in with your own ideas. But do you bow at the end of the day to the wishes of the person? I'll bow to the end of the day to the wishes of the person to a certain extent that I'm never going to give them a room Something or a house. they absolutely hate. So I'm yeah. going in to find out how does the person live in the house? Is there what activities are rooms needed for? Do they like carpet? Have they got allergies? They can't ever have carpet. They can only have timber floor. Um, you know, they want to keep their kitchen. They don't want to keep their kitchen. Mm. I, my f- couch doesn't suit me anymore. I've got a bad back. Maybe somebody in the house has been diagnosed with a long-term mm. disability or an illness and they need help to maybe to redesign their bathroom or their kitchen. So my 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 work is endless. Right. Okay. In the sense that I never know what I'm going to face when I go into, go into somebody's house. Mm. So I'm always listening to the client, looking for tips, looking for ways to make the job that I do for them the best I can. Right. Does the age of the house play a part in your decision making? I suppose it, it, it might do if somebody was breaking down walls mm. and... Um, redesigning or building on or whatever, I suppose a cost factor would come into it. Right. But there's nothing impossible. But so even I, for colours, Karen, is what I mean. Like, do you take that into account? I suppose it would depend on the furniture that's in yeah, the house, yeah, more yeah. so than the age of the house. So it depends on the f- type of furniture that's in the house. Is the furniture staying? Is it going? Um, and really, again, what that person wants from their house or their room. Mm. And exteriors are playing a big part since with the last three years, you know, there was a lot of people meeting outside in their own home and they wanted to have not outside as nice as inside. And I kind of I love that as well. So I'm always trying to make sure I bring a little bit of the outside in and um, always, always listen to the client. But at the end of the day, they're paying for a service mm. uh, for an interior designer or a project manager to manage their job and to make sure that they're spending their money wisely. Mm. Couple of, would you satisfy an argument that we've been having at home for the last one? Are Dado rails in or out? Um, have 50-50. Oh, right, okay. 50-50, so they're, they're most certainly in. Uh, Panelling uh, paneling on walls is in as well. That's where the Dado rail might come into play. So very much 50-50. Right, okay, right. I lost that argument anyway. And if you're looking at colours, do you, I mean, and if there is a data rail, do you, are they extreme differences? Uh, sometimes, again, depending on the job, there'll be an extreme difference, maybe very little difference, maybe no difference in the top colour and the bottom colour, and maybe we pick out the data rail in a white or an off-white. Ah. Or if a person had a data rail and they just weren't going to go to the expense of taking it out, because often when you take it out, you're left with big messy. lumps of yeah, plaster yeah. and the whole lot. We'll just paint the data rail and the walls the same colour, seal and white, and timber work white. Mm. So it means we don't have to go to the expense of taking the data rail off. Okay, okay, very good indeed. And um, what else have you got for us, Karen? So I've got another few colour mm. combinations. So another very good, very, very good uh, simple colour that goes with most fabrics, most tiles, and all, most of what you've already got in your house is called Subtle. Mm. S-U-B-T-L-E, mm-hmm. great colour. Okay, I already spoke about the Grease Verde, uh, Portland Dock. Okay, so that's another. What one. colour is that now? That is a grey. Okay, and there's an awful, awful lot of kitchens being oh. sold 
Portland Dock. Okay, and again, Portland if you Google these, Dock. you'll get the actual Actually, paint, paint yeah, brand. Yeah, and you'll probably get a picture of the colour of the paint mm-hmm. as well. Mm-hmm. So if somebody's looking for a nice grey for their timber work or for a wall colour, but they don't want something too deep. Portland Dock. Mm-hmm. Another colour that's very big at the moment. This one particular one is called Pantry Blue. Mm-hmm. So is that a blue? Is it? Yeah, I, I'd say it's kind of. Well, okay. Would you say? Ah, uh, my colours are just I haven't a clue. Like duck egg blue. Okay. Duck right. egg blue maybe. Right. Now uh, another good off white is alabaster white. Very very nice. Great mm. for timber work or great if you only want an off white on your walls. Also Arctic blonde. Another off white, mm-hmm. and also a classic white. So the classic white, the Arctic blonde, and the alabaster white—three grey colours. But again, if I hold them up for your friend, three quite different colours. Yeah, they're different when you hold them. When you hold them together, up. yeah. So often when I'm trying to match up uh, some of the colours we've spoken about, or lots of other colours, there'll be a specific colour out of these off whites that will only go with the colour I've picked. It won't mm-hmm. be the choice mm-hmm. of three. And mm-hmm. I suppose um, that's it colour-wise uh, today. But just to say to people. How does an interior designer de- define uh, mixing, you know, mixing colours together mm. and finding the right shades? There's never more than one or two answers. So mm. when you go into a tile shop and you look at all these tiles and there's loads of tiles and you're unsure which one is going to suit and I have this colour kitchen and I'm not sure. There's never 10 or 20 answers. There's only one or two. Okay. So sometimes it's to knuckle down the colour of the couch or knuckle down the colour of the tiles and don't think too far outside the box. Right. But do you come across people like me who, like, have great difficulty with colours? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. So sometimes it's to define it down, it's to explain why I've come up with the colour scheme I have, it's to explain why I've come up with this colour tile or this colour flooring or couch or whatever. And I'm always, always, always trying to make sure for every client that I've had... Hmm not to spend their money unwisely because I feel if I put in a kitchen for myself which I did two years ago a whole house and I got the colour of the kitchen wrong first day meaning that I didn't like it Mm. I couldn't afford to redo that kitchen I could afford to repaint it but I couldn't afford to take out the kitchen so it's always planning making sure you're spending your money wisely making sure you're buying a couch that's comfortable that's not going to you know for me hurt my back or whatever and being sensible about things so don't always buy the first thing that you see and have a little think about it right okay Um, the other thing that concerns me greatly um, where you I mean you're talking about kitchens there is the size of the Bloomin' Island Um, like what do you take into account where that is concerned as in in our work, there's another road that's ergonomics. constantly going on yeah, at home. Ergonomics. Yeah. So if you are, if you are going to have an island unit in your kitchen, you need to be able to work around it. Mm. So you need a minimum of a meter from the door to the island, either side the whole way around, right. and and really twelve hundred one point two meters. And if you haven't got that, right, it's going to cause you grief working around it. Well, we have to get traffic lights at home at the moment <laughs> to make our way around the. It's a boat you'd want to make. A, and I suppose, you know, first day when you when, when you are getting the kitchen designed or you're getting somebody like myself or you're going into a kitchen shop and you have nobody like myself, in you get the size of the island unit in the, to fit the room right. and to fit the space that you have in between the units and the table and chairs. And often off we have couches in the... So we have our kitchen, we have a dining table, we have an island unit and we probably have a couch as well. Mm. 
you know, if you're living in the kitchen. So there's a lot for us to contend with in the kitchen. I suppose there is indeed, but it's important to to get it right, isn't Size it? Size-wise, yeah. yeah, just yeah. To, to make sure that the dimensions are right and they're easily to walk and work around and they're safe. Okay. Um, a person on to us to say, would you ask Karen what timber floors you would recommend when there's mahogany furniture in the sitting room? You know, and I suppose the first thing you think of is maybe... Um, it should be mahogany or it should be cherry or it should be dark, but there's lots, depending on the type of floor the person wants to put down, there's lots of nice laminate and semi-solid floors and solid floors out there, but there's very, very good laminates out there at the moment that are up to 25 year guarantee, and if you were to get yourself maybe a nice light oak that had a, a dark vein going through that would pick up in the mahogany as well, but it would be light and bright and nice but for anyone listening out that has different types of furniture in their house, everything doesn't have to be matched. Okay. You don't have to go for mahogany floor because you've got mahogany furniture. I have a light oak floor, a, a gorgeous floor, a light laminate, and I have um, heavy coloured mahogany furniture with it, and it's gorgeous. Mm. I would never have been tempted to go for mahogany floor with that, you know. Would you not? Don't no. Why? It would just make it all too dark. It's too dark it? for the yeah. size of my house, yeah. Yeah, I suppose. Is the darker furniture coming back again? Yeah. Right? Yeah, we yeah. were all dumping it out yeah. at one stage. Absolutely. To be honest, it never went out, but for a while, grey took over. So then there was tons of different colours coming into shops to go with grey, but mahogany was always in the shops. It never went away. All right, OK. Will you stay with me, Karen, because I need I to will. take uh, a break. If you have a, a question for Karen, it's 83 if it matters to you, it matters to us. Call Tip Today on 1-800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back. Karen Prendergast, our interior designer, is still with us. Somebody has the cheek to say, Fran, you have no more effing interest in paint colour than the man in the moon, but fair play to you. You're getting through it. Uh, well, I wouldn't say that now. <laughs> in fairness. Isn't You'll give it? me a run for my money, Fran, oh, this do you, morning. Do you hear this indeed? Um, we all have all timber floors. Uh, what does uh, Karen think of carpet in the bedroom? So if, if the person is thinking, can I, because of timber floors, can I put a carpet yeah. in the bedroom? Of course you can. Absolutely right. no problem. Um, yes, yeah. is the answer. It'll work. Do you, do you go down that uh, way of thinking, though, about allergies and... I have and allergies. Okay. I personally have an awful lot of allergies. So you I've wouldn't have carpet I've had them since 2007. It's the first time I went to the Black Rock Clinic with them at the time. Right. So um, I would be given anything. I painted my my stairs white in my, in my new house. It's not new now, it's two years old mm. almost. And I would have given anything to put a lovely runner up the middle. Might right. have gone maybe a little bit of leopard print. Sounds a bit mad now. A runner is a carpet in the middle. With, with yeah. bits at each I side. might okay. have thought maybe going black and white or maybe even a little bit of leopard print, you know, in black and white, but couldn't have it. Right. Because couldn't of the, the allergies. Chance. Just couldn't take the chance. Good God. You're going to talk to us a bit about, I suppose, what you do by way of project management. What, what exactly does project management mean? So project management, I suppose, in, in my day-to-day -day running of my business now is if someone wants a job done, i.e., they um, want to get a room or rooms painted and they want curtains and blinds or they want to get a room painted and they have no, they don't know what, where to go for a carpet or where to go for a timber floor or how to go about it. They have no tradesmen. They've been ringing people for the last three years. Nobody will answer them back. They can't get a painter, they can't get a plumber or whatever. Mm. So project management for, management for me could be one room that they need help with, 
not just to pick out the colours because a lot of my calls are just one off go visit the house pick out the colours pick out flooring advise them on whatever and out the gap more jobs they last for a year or two six months mm. so I could be pulling out bathrooms pulling out kitchens um, getting all the men get the prices for the client mm. uh, okaying all that lining the job up so as when we go for instance to rip out the kitchen that we've got a week of a window frame that we're going to get the kitchen out tiled in and done right so the timing is vital isn't it timing is vital and that's mm. very, that's one thing I'm good at I, I know good tradesmen I've always give or, give or take stayed around the same builders plumbers electricians carpenters painters mm. and use the same companies and we don't leave one another down so when somebody gets me to project management they get me to manage the project but they pay all the mm. they pay all the tradesmen themselves you okay. know? so it's my okay. it's always just would, my would you make sure they're there on site oh, at the right time and all absolutely of that. and so timing is everything yes. so that could be from one room it could be from a whole house uh, being gutted maybe building on an extension got in the house the people might be away they might be in another country or they somebody might say look um, I need this project done and I, I'm able to move in with my daughter and my son and my family. I'll give you eight weeks. Can you turn the house around in eight weeks or whatever? So it's, again, it's it's like somebody mm. asking me, do they like carpets or like timber floors or what colour they like? Every single call for me is very different. Right. So for me, I have to be very um, flexible. Again, you know, when you ask me definitive questions like what do you do if you go in some place, how do you decide what this person's going to get? Well, it's always back to the client, what their needs are, what they want to mm. achieve, how much they want to spend, how long we've got to do the job, and always, yes. always. And and do you present them with a storyboard beforehand to say, look, this is how it's yeah, going I can to look? Do. Yeah, yeah okay. I can do. It. Again, it depends on the spend, it depends what the person wants, but yeah, absolutely. You see, I have three mood, board, mood boards there today. Mm. Um, and yes, I can, if needs be. But honestly, sometimes not Not everybody wants a mood board or not everybody wants that, but what everybody wants to know, friend, is how much. Mm. Yeah. And the good thing about... And does that determine everything, really? Well, the budget? It's not that... So say someone says to me, I have 1,000 euros of a budget, or 5,000 euros of a budget, or I'm knocking down all the walls in my house and I'm changing the whole thing. It does. It's never about how much they tell me the budget is, but it's about getting the best prices. Yeah. And it's about getting reliable tradesmen. And normally when I recommend a tradesperson or a different shops, they'll get discount anyway. So the fee okay. that they're paying me they'll get that back okay. because they'll get good discount. Because a lot of time, would you believe, friend, people are afraid to ask for discount. Mm. Not I know, going I'm in terrible and begging and, and saying, I but I was saying, you know, um, say a carpet is 500 euros or 5,000 euros. Well, is that the best you can do? Mm. Like it always just rolls right. off my tongue because I am wheeling and dealing. Of course, So yeah. it's not that I'm begging and just saying, can you do any better? 99% of the time, you'll, you'll save money. You'll get it, yeah. Yeah. Patrick sent in uh, pictures of his bedroom and indeed of his living room as well and he asked for your adjudication. He said, is this okay? You, you're you very impressed with... Really with impressed, Patrick. So I thought colour schemes, gorgeous. Mm. Place looked really neat and tidy. Love, love the look of what you've done and I can see that from one room to another you have a team going on that you've carried the colours through as well to a certain extent. So, right. you know, they're your colours, you like them. And I suppose if I could give any bit of help and it'd be very hard now to help anybody after sending in those pictures but maybe a very big picture over the head of the bed o would be lovely. Over the bed, yeah, yeah. And it, the simplicity of it is beautiful, isn't it? We see everything matches. Everything matches, yeah. And he's got different textures in there, so there's you've got the mosaic tiles, you've got the colour on the wall, you've got the trow, you've got the cushions, and lovely um, cushions on the bed as well. So the only, as I said, bit of input is maybe 
quite large picture over okay. the head of the bed. So full thumbs up uh, yeah. to, to, to Patrick. Uh, building a new bedroom and bathroom, I haven't a clue what colour to go for. It always strikes me that the things that look ridiculous after X amount of years are bathrooms because they're very much of their time. Yeah, remember the, the 70s and 80s, those awful green things? Green tight. Yeah, we often talked about them yeah. years ago on the show and whatever. So do you have to be careful with, with the... I the, suppose the bathrooms, a good place to start is white wear. Um, if you, you're tiling the floor, probably um, a tile that you know hasn't a huge amount of colour in it, maybe you know light greys, light creams, um, whites, and often what I I tend to do mostly, friend, is I just tile in around the shower, okay, or over the bed and in around the shower. I don't tend to tile all the walls. Do you not? No. Okay. Because I just feel you can change the wall colour any time, but once the tiles are up, they're up forever. Hmm. So uh, my recommendation would be just tile where the wet areas are. Right, even though you did and tell us in the past you can paint the Absolutely tiles. Absolutely, paint the tiles, no problem. So if you've got a colour tile over your kitchen sink, in your utility um, or in your bathroom, if they're washed, dried, primed and painted properly, it's a huge success. Very good. And the bedroom that this person is saying, a bedroom and a bathroom. So the bedroom, how colour-wise? Colour-wise, I'd be probably keeping the two of them the same. So whatever goes on the walls and the... So think about your bathroom wear, your tile on the floor, your tile on the wall in your wet areas, and the colour comes after that, and the floor in the bedroom. So pick your most expensive items first. Right. And work back from them, not the wall colour first. Okay, that's a very good tip indeed. By the way, do you go for wet room or shower? Or does, does it matter to you? Does it depend as well? Again, it depends on the circumstances. Right. Okay. If people want to make contact with you, whether it's to project manage or indeed to, for advice, Karen, how, how can they do that? I have a website, interiorconcepts.ie, uh, Facebook, Instagram, WhatsApp, all of those things that I'm so not very good at, but are <laughs> 086 Very good. But up on social media, you have some colour oh, yes, examples and all yeah. of that, don't you? And you know, if anybody's um, looking for a little bit of inspiration, just send me on a message. Okay. I can help it all the way. Good to see you, Karen. And thanks, thanks very much indeed. News and information's on the way. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. And welcome back to Tip Today and some more queries coming in for, for Karen and we'll stack them all up and we will bring them uh, to her next time round. Is that okay? Only three, three double one, double three, double one. We have the prize to give away as well, and it's a month's membership of uh, the wonderful Leisure Centre that's in the uh, Talbot Hotel in Clonmel. That prize is based on your interaction with us by text and WhatsApp. Only three, three, double one, double three, double one. Right now, though, it's time for this. For every problem, there's a solution. Dear Phil, on tip today with Phil Prendergast. And the lady with the solutions is with me. Hello, Phil. Good morning, Fran. I must dump all of my problems on you sometime. Listen. I'm so I'm so empty. I fill me up. <laughs> you can't be, come on. I have to ask you. What do you make of the um, the uh, nursing home uh, thing that's emerged over the last few days? I think it's going to be one of the biggest debacles, and this could see a big flip in the government. Do you think? I think so? it's absolutely very serious. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, um, and there is something 
in it because it's uh, there's rumblings and there's all sort like I mean when people collate the information they have and then they take the wheat from the chaff and decide what is really the nub of the problem here there's going to be absolute there's going to be legal implications there's going to be paybacks there's going to be people that were duped there's going to be people that have passed on that would have had a huge amount of you know when people start itemizing every single thing and monetizing every single thing even down to the air you breathe if it's purified that that's when they start putting a cost and they break it down it becomes just one great big monolith and i think there's going to be big problems but the cynicism of creating a strategy to do people out of a few bob. Yeah. Uh, but successive governments we're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. But it, 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 and it is successive. Yeah. So there's not going to be any opportunity. I suppose the, the potential for Sinn Féin to make hay of this when they haven't governed is going to be there. Yeah. And um, I suppose if there's a light shone on something and people were duped out of money or people were duped out of entitlements, um, it seems to be a very wrong system that you can try to, you can try to rectively rectoactively fix something yes. that can't really be fixed because there's there's too much water under the bridge like. But you put it in there with cervical and with hep C uh, and all these things. Absolutely you know, and uh, apologies are very they're very empty you know. Yeah. Anyway let's get down to the problems we have in front of us uh, and uh, the first letter Hi Phil my husband and I are in the process of doing up our will we have three sons who are all grown up one lives abroad, one lives about an hour away and our youngest is built on the family land close by. When we were discussing how best to divide everything between them, my husband suggested that we just split everything evenly three ways and that way nobody can row over it. But I disagree. Our youngest who lives close by is very good to us. He visits every day, does all the big jobs outside for us because we are no longer able to do that ourselves. He also is keeping our small farm going so I think the fair thing to do is to give him a larger proportion. But is this just asking for trouble? I've considered sitting them all down and going through it with them, but I fear this could start to divide if they feel one is favoured over the others. I don't know what to do. Please help. I would imagine a lot of people are in, in they, that sort they of They are, position. but like she said, she said, we have three sons who are all grown up. Mm. Like these are adults. Um, I had five brothers and five sisters, one sadly deceased, but um, we knew from ever that the youngest in our family was going to get left the, the family house. No issue whatsoever. No issue whatsoever with that. This woman is asking, is it asking for trouble to actually give the farm to the youngest? I don't think she's asking for trouble at all. I think she's been quite pragmatic. Because he's doing the work he's doing, the And he's doing, it, he's doing the grunt work. So I don't think there's going to be an issue. She can leave a sum of whatever to the other two but I think the youngest is there. He's doing he's doing that job. He's doing he's doing the work. He's helping them with everything they need help with. And I don't think his two brothers are going to be too upset by that. The idea, I suppose, I think it stems from tradition where, you know, you divide the house or you divide the mm. estate. By the time you pay all your fees and by the time all of that grunt work is done, I don't think there's too much left over. And I think it's a very it's a it's very civilised to decide that, OK, he's the youngest. And, and let the others know and say, you know, lads, there'll be a few bob there for you, but we're going to be leaving the, the bulk of, of this to the young fella because he's been around and he's doing the work. Um, because she feels the need to ask about this, though, 
Um, does she know something that we don't in terms of does she predict that there may be hassle over? I think it's her husband is saying it. He he said um, she she fears it could start to divide if they feel one is favoured mm. over the others. Mm. But is it favour when he's actually living there, doing the work for them, doing the bits and pieces around the house, mm. um, living on the family land where he has built a house? It, is it is it proportional anyway? It doesn't mm. appear so. It doesn't, because no. one is living abroad and one is not living um, close by. He lives an hour away, which isn't far, right? Mm. But... Um, you know, her husband suggested that they just split everything evenly three ways. It's not possible to do that if the son is already living on family land that he's right. had a house built on. Yeah, so, of course, if the only asset, though, is the farm and the house, you know, that's kind of, you know... Yeah, again, but it's it's this is the real world. Okay. And, I mean, you would have hoped that when people are growing up, they can actually have their own house, their own mortgage and their own issues and mm. their own setup. So you're, you're, you should never be dependent on what your parents can leave you because some parents would not have anything to leave. Absolutely. Uh, well, you know the way I feel about that. If you educate them, that's it. Absolutely. And you know what? You, you do invest an awful lot in your children. And it's yes. not all about getting a return or them getting, oh, when they pop the clogs now, we're in there for a grand little house. You know what? If you have to divide something or sell it, it may not turn out to be such a great thing and you're paying inheritance tax and all the rest of it. And I know that's more specific for, um, you know, John Lynch to come in and chat to you about. But it's 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 a fact that you should not have expectations that you're going to get something from your parents. Yes. Well, my advice to parents out there is spend it. Absolutely. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> there's no fun and there's no pockets in the shroud. That's they're for sure. They're not going to be able to go and spend money wherever it is that they're going yeah. because they could be just going into the dust. Yeah. So, you know what? Decide to make someone's life a little bit easier and certainly if they have a few bob that they can give to the other two, great. But they shouldn't have any expectations you're going to get stuff from your, your um, parents. Very good indeed. Um, letter number two. Uh, dear Phil, my daughter is due to get her communion this May. She is our eldest, so it's the first time we are doing the communion thing. My expectation was that we would have something small at home and then bring her off to spend a bit of money the next day. I also borrowed a dress that my niece used last year. It's a beautiful dress and my sister lives an hour away so nobody local would recognise it. She was fine with that until she got talking to some of her classmates. Most of them are doing the whole shebang. Hairdressers in the morning beforehand followed by either a hotel meal or bouncy castle and catering and then off to centre parks for a few days afterwards. Very nice isn't it? She asked why we weren't doing anything like that and I told her straight that we can't afford to do something like that. She then went back and told her classmates that we're too poor to have anything other than a small party at the house. I am mortified and I feel bad for her because now she feels totally inadequate compared to her classmates. I've tried to add in some other things to make today more special and I booked the hairdresser for the morning for her but she still seems a bit disappointed and has stopped talking about it. I don't want her disappointed on the day but at the same time I don't want to go mad when there's no need to do so. What should I do? Oh my goodness God. Mm. This is an event that happens and we have the mini bridezilla's whole shebang thing and then you have people that are simply not in a position to afford this. I was looking up doing a little bit of background to this and the average communion for parents costs just under €1,000. Wow. Um, I was looking at what you could expect to make on the day and it can be like donations if, if your godchild or niece or nephew or whatever can be up to €50. Euro. 
uh, a donation at a time so people can end up with quite a lot of money. The idea that a child needs to go at seven or eight years of age to have their hair done in a hairdresser is just, it, it's again, it's one of those things we seem to have adopted. It's like tiara and that carry-on that used to be on in the States where you see these tiny tots, the tots and tiaras thing. Woeful stuff, woeful tack altogether. And there's an element of that has crept in because there are event holders who would tout that as a package. Mm. And oh, you're, you're, you can bring here and bring the family and you have a great day. I, there's been some of the best days ever had at a party in a house where people really enjoyed it. I remember there was a confirmation and it was on the 23rd of March and it was 23 degrees. And I can remember that was, now I know it was quite some time ago, but so the heat wasn't a thing. Mm. But like the, the managing expectations, the little one should not be made to feel that she's inadequate because she's not going to a hotel or Centre Parks for a few days or all that other stuff. If somebody can afford to do that and they think that that's fine and that's what their children want, that is fine. If you can't afford that, you have to cut your cloth according to the measure. It's fantastic that she gets to have a dress. I remember I had the same dress as my sister um, and instead of a, a, a satin ribbon with little sprigs of flowers, I think I had satin ribbon with a brooch or something on it. But anyway... It was <laughs> and w- were you okay with that? I, it absolutely meant nothing to me. Right. It meant nothing to me whatsoever except I was so excited to be the one wearing the lovely shoes and the lovely the lovely thing. And I mean, I, I, when I think back, it, there was an innocence about it. We yeah. didn't have that. We were from a small village. You just did not have the hotel thing. You did not... There, there was none of that in our day friend. There just wasn't. You just had your communion and like I remember my, my sister getting a great deal of money. I think she'd over 12 shillings um, and it was a huge amount and there was great excitement because she was able to go off and buy shoes that she wanted for herself. You know the way every five minutes you have to get new shoes anyway when Absolutely, you're that age, you're, you're course, growing. Yeah. But, but, but of so, course it's very different now though, isn't it? Fella? It's very I mean, different you know? but we are, after buying into this whole thing of giving them a great time your child making their communion is one of probably 20 kids making the communion between the males and the females. The mini brides, they get to wear their white dress. I'm not even sure that they should continue to do at the communion thing to represent the purity of receiving the spirit of our Lord and, you know, the, the body and blood and like the whole thing. I think you can have the religion part and then you can take out what some people would regard as tack and what other people would regard as a simple economical decision that, listen, we're going to have a few sandwiches back the house and you'll have a great day and you'll be spoiled and people will call in and you'll have a great day mm. and yeah we'll go away and spend a few but like her first idea was um you know we do have something small in the house and bring her off to spend a bit of her money the mm. next day mm. and they should have that date and make it very special for her but she should not be comparing herself to others yes. and the mother should not be buying into what the young one said and what they said because kids can be very cruel even if it's unintentional they say well we're going to Butlins and we're going to a hotel and we're going to have this and we're having a bounce castle and we're having this and I'm having my hair done and I'm having my spray tan and I'm going to be lovely and they are all lovely from the plainest dress to the most 
Sure, of course, at you that know. age they all are. I, I wonder about the truth of the matter as well when she says that she went to school and told them that they were too poor. I have a funny feeling about that, that she was just getting at the mum. Oh, no, I think she was probably getting at the mum all right. Yeah. And you know what? There is a lot of people that are struggling with trying to manage a budget mm. and they're struggling trying to manage an occasion like this and they actually don't need to be told about well we're totally inadequate even if they don't know the words to say we're totally inadequate in this house it can be a little thing saying well I'm not getting this and I can understand at that age people would think well I should have the best they're going to be having their best that they can afford and they're proper and right to live within what they can afford yeah because I would imagine that a lot of people are borrowing huge amounts of money see for, again for this, Fran know. borrowing money to pay for an event like that and have to have that yeah, as an additional bill. It's all very well. Things aren't coming down really that much. We're continuing to have high costs for the... Co- like, if you want to take individual, and I'm sure you've done it on your programme, you take how much items have gone up oh, yeah. in, in, in money terms. Like, the, the average shop is up how much per week? It's They need to be actually realists about this and maybe mm. take it down a tone. And what and did you tell me? A thousand euro is the average spend. Yeah, nine hundred and sixty-seven, I think, is the figure. Good God! The average Good cost. God. All right. Uh, the third letter, dear Phil, my son is nine and has been playing GAA since he was six. All of my children play GAA, and I was born and reared in the area and played for the same club myself growing up. My son turned around this week and said he doesn't want to play GA anymore. He said he just doesn't like it. I told him he has to keep it on until he's 12 and then he can decide whether he quits or not. My reasoning behind this is that he is the only boy in the class in primary, so GAA is a good way to get to know boys his age for when he goes into secondary. I also feel he might end up developing a love for it. My other two were about 10 before they really developed their skill and uh, love for the games. I must say, he isn't upset about having to go, so he's not crying going to training. I feel myself it's just laziness on his part because he does enjoy it when he's there. I tried him in all the sports, music lessons, scouts and even dancing, but he wants to quit everything. He just says he doesn't like it. So do I let him quit another thing or make him do it? I'm not sure what the right thing to do do is? I think what she should do actually is, is string him along for a bit. Um, just say, you know the way you really do enjoy it when you get there. Um, this is only for an hour. So can we keep this up for another while and make a deal with you? So uh, we'll review it in three months or in six months. And if you're still really, really unhappy, we can choose what is another thing that you're going to do where there's mix. I mean, there's art classes for children. There's other um, ways of expressing whatever skills you might have or even developing skills. There's a lot of people don't know what they're capable of until they go into it. I mm. can remember when, when the kids were going, say, to Bannaclonmela and stuff like that mm. and getting picked and being able to be part of a team. Again, it was one other thing that they did. I think my my own kids would have tried everything before one of them in particular found rowing so he went down the alphabet till he got to R and then the rowing was it. Um, so yeah. you know what I mean? There's yeah. there's different strokes for different folk. She should string him along because she did say he does seem to enjoy it when he gets there and it could be that it's just you could get a dose of the lazies, you know, thinking, oh, I have to get out there now and it's going to be mm. cold or whatever. Whereas, you know, 
if he enjoys it when he gets there, she should string him along for another one and say, listen, you're really unhappy about this. Let's talk about it. We'll have, um, we'll go out and we'll have, you know, a cup of coffee somewhere and you can have a drink and whatever and we'll have a chat about it and see how you feel about it then. But she should maybe string him along for another little while mm. going to it until she finds something that he will want to do. But like, it, you know, there are some people that are not cut out for sports. Well, that's for sure. Uh, you're looking at one of them. Um, but I find it interesting that uh, she went on to say that uh, she tried him at other things, music lessons, scouts and even dancing, but he wants to quit everything. I mean, are, are there kids like that that they just, you know... They... Yeah, but he's only nine years of age. Yeah, he's he's yeah. at the... Like, you need to be going to something a while before you might actually get the hang of it. Mm. There are some people are never going to be good at things like sports and that and they can be very very brilliant at maths or they can be very brilliant at tennis or they can be very brilliant at you know mm. um other things rowing things like that that takes the energy and there's a you know it's not a singular thing the important thing i think for this young boy is the fact that he's doing things with other people uh, when you're doing things that is it's just you yeah. that can be a lonely endeavor mm. again and you need to get your social skills up now particularly he might feel that he is the only boy in a class full of girls that could drive any fella mm. crack. Um, <laughs> but but you know, I mean, that will change as well as he as he comes along. So yes. I do think it's time for saying, listen, we're going to go today. And is it? Are you cold? Is it that you're not being picked to play on the team? What is it? And have a chat, or go down and look at a few games, or make it a bit special. Saying we'll go for a hot chocolate on the way back, or mm. I'll make hot chocolate when you come home, or. You know what I mean? So, like, string him along for another little while. He's he's at a stage in his life where he's he could be feeling a little bit, you know, that it's out, he's out of his depth and he mightn't be particularly good at it. Therefore, he feels he's not really getting an equal because there's always going to be really brilliant kids and some kids that are brilliant at everything, everything. Yeah, and some kids that are absolutely useless at... Uh, which was probably me. But do you <laughs> know what I mean? That. So everyone has their skills. Yeah. But it's just, it's nine years of age, it, it could be just a matter of, oh, I don't really want to go out there now and I don't want to leave them. There's big boys there. Yeah. Maybe there's bullying going on. Maybe there's some other issue that she doesn't know That's about. A, get so him to talk. I absolutely. Suppose. And just say, we'll have a chat about this. And maybe get the dad to have a chat. But look, he's, he's talking uh, to his mum. Where do you come from in terms of, you know, they say they don't want to do something, but a, par a parent will insist because it's further. Do you, do you find any problem with the insistence? Or do you think I, it I, should be driven from the kids? Or No, I no, but I do think that if you can expose kids kids to quite a lot of things there's there's a whole lot of because so many young kids now have screens they can be exposed to stuff we know nothing about nor mm. would we know even how to look at it they like we there's a lot going on in terms of technology that kids can be targeted or there's young kids that seem to know a way of maybe undermining someone's performance or saying something about their clothes that they're wearing or their footwear or their gear or whatever. There's a lot of things. So he seems to enjoy it once he gets there. So it could be that he's just lacking a little bit in confidence and that needs to grow for a while. Yeah, Anne was on to us uh, saying it's so important for children to be involved in something that uh, they will otherwise they will find it difficult later in life to mix. And I suppose that's a good point. No, it's it? a very yeah. good point because yeah. again, it's all part of the whole process of growing up and like waiting 
wait until another few years and then he eats into the whole puberty crack. Like it's again, it's growth spurts and then someone not having a growth spurt as quickly as the other yeah, fella and yeah. someone goes in is after growing a foot over the summer and you're still after shrinking, you think. <laughs> but, um, you know, there is that as well, Fran. There's a whole, like there's a myriad of things going on for young people. And they say for the first seven years that all the core development is happening and then the next time you're kind of making decisions or you come, but you really still know nothing except your feelings. And your feelings could be that I want to stay at home and do my PlayStation or whatever. And that's a comfortable thing, but it's there's no real challenge apart from what you might be playing on screen. But you need to communicate with others. You need to see how the interactions happen. And it could be that maybe he's a little bit intimidated and what you should do is not with him there but you should need to maybe go to the coach and have a chat and say how does he mm. get on there when we're not there or go and be with him for a few games if that's not going to be mortification for the young fella because <laughs> it, it, could be, it, be. it could be um, I'm always amazed that every uh, time we speak we have three letters and there's always one that emerges as the talking point and in this case guess what it's about the communion and lots yeah. lots of opinion in on that probably summed up by this one which says everything has gone completely overboard or keeping up with the Joneses. In my day, confirmation, my father took me to church and then he went back to work for a half day. Yeah, but you see, Fran, it's the whole society and systems are all designed how can we make an occasion out of this and we do up a package and then the package seems to be a very good deal because it's cheaper. Whatever happened to having corned beef and hang sandwiches? Yeah. And having um, diluted orange, and having the coffee, you, and having the, the the glass of wine or whatever. Well, we didn't have wine in our days. I don't think wine was invented <laughs> then. But uh, you know, we've we've gone over the top entirely. We're we're being hooked into this whole thing of bridezillas be the thing, mm. and you know, you've seen I've seen young like children with their tans their spray tans and their little diamante stuff and the headdresses and the ringlets in the car. Like we had rags wrapped around the bits of hair and you took them out and you were absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, gorgeous. <laughs> like we were, oh, there was no end Br- to the bring gorgeousness. In, bring in the photographs, won't you? As I say, the one people are commenting on all the time is confirmation. Well, here's one. It says, uh, I don't believe that children should be forced to do GAA sports or other sports that they don't like. My grandson was like that and then he found basketball and he's so happy. Not every child is happy with the ga because their family did it and maybe there is something else going on there which is the point that you were making as well that might be worth looking into. Yeah. And which is a very valid point yeah. again yeah. because there are there's a, the, the ga can you know they might have identified young fellas that have to go heck about them and then someone else feels inadequate or they're just not we picked hear about or they're that not. all the time. Yeah and Fran it is a real thing and that's the danger when you have a group sport but it's also the blessings within it because young people can say well you know what this this isn't for me and they can make a decision that then is based on actual incidences where you have a look at it and say well actually you know what they didn't really work out that's not a failure by the way mm. that's a moving in a different direction like that woman said basketball could be his thing Alright, uh, Phil, always a pleasure. Thank you very much indeed. That's our agony aunt, Phil Prendergast. By the way, if you uh, want to uh, uh, present your problem indeed to Phil, all you have to do is uh, email it to us and that's tiptoday at tipfm.com. Back in a moment. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie And you're very welcome back to Tip Today. Now, Louise Morrissey and emerging Tipperary country music star Molly O'Connell will both be on TJ4's, uh, TJ Carr even, the, the hit series Glortira tonight at half past nine. Now, Molly is being mentored by Louise Morrissey and she's in studio and we'll chat to her in a moment but first of all let's have a listen Crazy, crazy baby, and Molly is with me in studio. Good morning, Molly. How Good are you? Good morning, friend. How are you? I am beaming today. Are you beaming I today? I am. I am. I'm on a total high today. Yeah. Very excited for tonight. Tell me about tonight. It's pre-recorded. This is it this is. is done. Yes, this it is. is done. So okay. we went down in November, all eight contestants with our mentors, and we got to record one song each, and then we got to do a duet mm. with each with each of our mentors. So that's what you're going to see tonight. They've already had the six contestants so far, myself and Noel and Louise are the last right. of the showcasing of us. 
Very good. Yes. So explain how it works for people who mightn't be all that familiar with the show, who, but who would love to support you. What exactly happens by way of the adjudication, Molly? So the adjudication now we are going to see tonight is that say they're going to adjudicate going to put one through tonight okay. and that they will be safe so there's already three safe already so going to be four safe after tonight mm-hmm. and then next week which is the 7th of February there's going to be four that will be going into the elimination for the public to vote right so after that two two people will go home next Tuesday night Okay. So if I'm in that mix, who knows? I won't know until after tonight. I really need Tipperary to get behind me and vote right. for that. But you don't know what the result of tonight is I going to be. I know, because when they recorded us um, down there, they did Noel going home and me kind of, go, not going home, but yes, you know, yeah. to the next thing, so we don't know. Right, yeah, so okay. So it was very so exciting. So tell me how you say it's exciting, but it must be nerve-wracking. It was. It? Do you know what? I have sang since I was six in front mm. of people, but yeah. bring yourself into a total different um, situation, like putting cameras in front of and I'm sure yes. yourself and Muriel will know this that it's a totally different experience yeah. when people say but Molly you're singing all your life and I'm like no but there's like a producer here and they're going five, four, three, two, one, and you you just have to know you have to know your stuff friend yes, there's of no course, kind yeah. of room for error um, yeah. which, which which was great experience because obviously we're going to be singing live next Tuesday week well, so at okay. least we've kind of done the now I suppose the big plus there is that it's a fantastic band isn't it oh, I mean, you, you won't find better than yeah. the lineup yeah. of the band so yeah. you know that's a plus in itself that's I suppose yeah. so Louise um, had Jonathan Owens for us and mm. uh, so next week now we will have the house band which is like the Conquerors I think yeah, yeah. which they're amazing like Tony, Tony Maher and all of them so Frankie and even, all the lads, even yeah. to play with them friend a live band because I sing with tracks yeah. and then when you have all these musicians that are just around you and they're just amazing the adrenaline that goes through your veins it just lifts you live. Up, I'm, yes. I'm sure yeah uh, tell me about the singing because you say you've been singing uh, since you were a child a very musical family your, your, your late dad played the box and he did yeah. my dad Dennis Sonny O'Connell as yeah. they know they were in a band called the Melotones with Jerry Burns from Kilcommon and he used to play the fiddle and yodel and it was like a Slim Whitman kind of a band mm. and they did local around Tipperary venues because they all worked till really late and literally had to get changed really quickly back out in the road so um, we would have been surrounded by dad playing the button and then my mum was from Capamore County Limerick and they're all trad and they all still play trad to this day Hall Ryan and Noreen and a lot of them so like we got involved in the score then at a young age and Flack Holes so when we went round to Flaz then we got into getting like loads of lovely songs The Rose of Keeper Hill The Shores of Loch Bran all those songs and we got up then we jumped up on stage and we sang for the county final thankfully we got through to the county final and my sisters as well used to compete with my brother and we'd sing at Holland Fela, and that was kind of our first ever was it you indeed? know yeah that's very interesting so the background is not just country music it's no. trad music yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so yeah. I would have done a lot of Chano singing so you might hear that in my voice I do and in, in the new single that we're going to hear yes. um, I can definitely hear the ornamentation there yes. and stuff yeah. so I got the ornamentation I suppose from sitting around listening to other uh, singers down through the years yeah. and then also Nori Noreen and Michala Sullivan I don't know no, yeah, of course, Michala's yes. passed yes. so she was very friendly with our family oh, Nori yeah. and Michal and we sang on a, on a mass Edmund Rice's mass up in Dublin years ago I was only about eight Yes. and I was going I think for a Munster final in um, Skibbereen I think for a fla and I was singing um, I can't remember it could have been The Shores of My Native Land mm. and she said to me Molly sing that song out for me but Noreen is real la, 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 la. Oh, yes. so she helped me did with you? that yeah. reading, phrase and diction ornamentation and that all came from Noreen. Oh yeah, and I love thankfully, her. I think she's great. Oh, she's she's amazing. such a colourful she's person. She's amazing. Just, so just really I have a lot to, to thank for her. Tell me about 
COVID was a very positive experience for you because it was life-changing in a lot of ways, wasn't yes, it? Yes, friend. It has yeah. been quite life-changing for me because I've always, like I've been hairdressing in Barbara and I had a very successful barber shop in Silver Street in Nina. Lads yeah. and dads, hello to everyone there. Jessie has it now. And um, she, you know, I just say I came to her and I just said, look, Jess, I said, I'm thinking of just stepping aside. Would you like to take over the barber shop? And she did. But in the back of my mind even though I was cutting hair for th- those so many years musicians were coming in like the likes of Peter Maher mm. that works with Nathan Carter and they were coming in Martin Grace and they were telling me all about the music and I kept saying in my heart I really need to do this do you know I kept it was just yeah. here in the heart and I said if you didn't do it now Molly you might never do it do you know so Covid then the shop closed down for a couple of months mm. and then I had met Stephen Hamilton which has written a lot of my songs and I met him over in Crack and the Costa with Jimmy Buckley and myself and my sister used to go live for the crack mm. during lockdown. Mm. So Stephen and myself reconnected and he had said, Molly, I have a couple of songs here. He said, like, give it a go. You've always said it. And I said it to him when I was over in Spain and he said, I have lovely songs. <clears throat> Maybe give them a go. And then that's how it all kind of happened then on the May of, I think, 2022. Um, I decided, you know what, Mal, just go for it. But that was a huge decision because, as you say, successful business and all of that, you've two kids. Yes, yeah. So a big decision. So I really asked, like, when they say when you're trying to make a decision in life, you know, it's your decision. But I ended up asking everybody. I asked my mum, I asked my sister, you know, they're teachers and, you know, they're very, they're in their jobs and they're, you know, and for me then to give up a business that I had kind of nurtured and grew and they were like, Molly, I don't know. You know, you'd, you'd always hear because they're looking out for yeah, you, of course. Yeah. And then I was kind of like, this is your decision, Molly. Of this course. Is your. And but I, did you get mixed reviews from people? That some I did. Oh, know. I did. They said, Molly, really? After <laughs> building that for that long and yeah. you love it and you've got such a brilliant... And then I was kind of like, yes, I do love it, but it's like a chapter closed in my life. It was 10 years I was in there and I had done a kind of a personal development course with a few of the girls and I learned a lot of skills and things from that. You know, if you really want to kind of excel at something else, you need to kind of stop and, you know, kind of shut that door for right. other things to come into your life. Right. So that so, really did happen. So you're spiritual in that I way, would be. are you? Yeah. I would be spiritual. Yes, yeah. very much so. So I think definitely as well talk about spiritual, I think my dad is totally giving me winks from above when certain things happen and people have come into my life like Stephen for instance yeah. like when I speak to him about his dad his dad was in plantar so was my dad his dad was a musician so was mine there's so much things that's connecting it's like it's amazing from the, the world wherever they are to now so and it was meant to be I think I think I, I hope and I, I think it is yeah. you know it really has been for me an amazing journey. and Obviously, Glorteria is, is a very important part of this, but what about up until <clears> now? I mean, what have the highlights been for you over the last the uh, highlights, year I or so? The highlights, I bringing out the single, um, because you're sick and guessing yourself, Fran, you've been there, you know, mm. in the music industry, you're like, will people like the song? Mm. Or will they like my voice? And you never really know until you, you present it to them. never really know. So when I brought out the song, and thankfully it got great response, and then um, I already had said to Stephen, like, I'm definitely thinking a song ahead if I can. Mm. And I said, I'd love to go down the road of not kind of take another one's lights, you know, any mm. female artist. I'd like to do my own and care of my own path. And it kind of happened from there. So another song came out there. But would like to go up to the county down, I think we were, Benbridge. And then we went off around um, the north to do my video. I think that to me, friend, was like, oh my God, there's someone like recording my crazy, crazy baby 
you know. Yeah. Um, but I kind of took it like a duck to water. <laughs> it was amazing because when you know in your heart this is what you want to do, it's like something inside you excels out. Of course, yeah. Um, and we, we met you at the, the Cut Loose Country Music Festival. Oh, that was amazing. Across. But yeah. you, you have great joy about you in terms of, you, you're enjoying all yes, of this. You yes, know? yes, I am which, enjoying it. Which I think is so, it's rare enough to come across that, you know. Yeah. I suppose it's it an is. enthusiasm and you yeah, know. I think because when you kind of done the hairdressing for so long, when you knew in your heart, I may I should have kind of maybe done the music earlier, kind yes, of you know. Yeah. I think now is your shot, and you just have to enjoy it. Do you know what I mean? And enjoy yeah. each experience that comes your way. It's like I was so thankful for Cut Loose, and I met you there, and mm. I met Nathan and Michael English and mm. Jimmy and Claudia, and I was like. Starstruck. Do you and know? were they nice to you? Were they, they were lovely. Were they? they were yeah. really. It's like going up and we had like a chat yeah. and a photograph, yeah. and they were all best to look, Molly. You know, it's a journey that we've all been on, and you know, even Jimmy was like, "If you need an all help, give me a ring." And mm. they're all mm. just lovely. Louise, the same yourselves. Mm. Mm. It's just lovely to have. They're like a little family, I suppose. Yeah, isn't, um, isn't it great to see it? Do you think it's tougher being a woman? I suppose in ways when they say each female artist I've met it said it's dominated by kind of the male yeah, um, yeah I know, especially yeah. the Irish country yeah, I know scene. Muriel is always of the opinion it is yes. much more difficult if you're a yes, woman you yeah. know? no I, I agree with that yeah. but I think if you can just carve your own path and get the songs out there for you and make your own you yeah. know, way in it absolutely um Tell me about the new song because you were kind enough to send me this last night. I hadn't, I, <laughs> I hadn't heard. It's being released. Is it today? tomorrow? Tomorrow. tomorrow. Yeah. Tomorrow. So. Um, it's a gorgeous song, isn't it? Like it? I, yeah. Thank you, Fred. Uh, tell me, and uh, I want people particularly to home in on the vocal because I think the vocal is gorgeous. Tell me about the song, though. So the song, um, myself and Stephen got chatting a couple of months ago, and he knows I have a great respect for my mother and father, and I didn't have the opportunity because Dad has passed four years, and I had said to him, it's just conversation. I said, God, I'd have loved to have done a song for dad and mam and dedicated something to them while they were here because mm. they, they took us the Linton breath of Ireland friend myself and my three sisters and my brother nothing was ever a, a trouble for him do you know dad would pop us all in the car we had a caravan at the time and you know took us off up to Sligo for all Ireland's and here there do you know yeah. I just said it's nice to dedicate but now dad is passed I'm doing this for my mother of course she's the best in the world lover to bits and I said it to Stephen and Stephen said you know what I'm I'm, I'm in the kind of the baby stage of writing a song and um, he had his mother had passed and he was very close to her and this song kind of came for for any mums that are past and present alright let's, so. let's have a listen and it's being released tomorrow tomorrow the first okay. and actually a friend said my mum and I wouldn't be like St Bridget's Day is tomorrow and my mother is Bridget O'Connell Bridget oh, O'Connell she's right. like oh you're releasing it on Bridget's Day for me I was like yes <laughs> yes <laughs> yes I am of course have a listen to, this is a lovely song but have a listen to the lovely vocal on this If there were wings on earth Like they were in heaven There'd be only one for me Deserves the most She's always been there for me And in my heart I believe Always be an angel to me. She took my hand and showed me the way. 
Mother's Wings Will Fly from Molly O'Connell, who's with me in studio. That is the brand new thing. I think that's going to be huge for you. It's oh, just gorgeous. You, yeah. I hope so. I hope yeah. so. And I hope it resonates with a lot of people out there that their mm. mums are here and past, hopefully. I'm, I'm sure it will indeed. So many people on to us to say uh, good luck uh, to you. Um, Margaret is on and Peter is on. And let me see you, Martin Pollard on oh, as well Martin to wish you, wish you the very, very best. Yeah, and Angela, of course. Yeah. Um, you were you were doing the circuit. You were in Bulgarton, I know, and you were in various different places. Yes, I did. Fremont and Yes, and Timpermore Arms yeah. with Dermot Lines, who yeah. was uh, on Glortier before. They've been so helpful. I was with Declan Anger as well, down and feathered with Sean Donovan, and they just kind of it kind of one of them popped me on Eileen and Bulgadine with yeah. checkers, and then they all kind of got on and said, "How can we support you? And how can we help you with Glortira?" And then I popped on then for a couple of songs with them all, great, and yeah. it loads. Yeah, loads but they have lovely it. stuff to say about you because oh, we were kind of chasing you around in terms of the following week and all of that sort of thing. So yes. it was great. Uh, let me just take a break, and Molly is staying with me, and we'll give you more information on how you can get involved. 
Join the conversation in Tipperary. Contact us through Facebook, Twitter or email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Tip Today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Uh, welcome back. Molly O'Connell is with me ahead of tonight's uh, TJ Carr uh, hit series, Lord Tyrion. She'll be there in great style indeed. And was on to say, uh, good luck tonight, uh, Molly. Looking forward to seeing you, but hope the dances won't distract you from enjoying oh, <laughs> very good so there's lots of other stuff coming so many people on uh, wishing you the very best uh, far too many to mention at this point but can you explain the adjudication process to us again Molly because so many people would love to support you okay so tonight then as I said it's just a showcase so I'm the last of the eight contestants so there's no voting tonight because I've been getting lots of messages are we voting tonight so mm. no voting until next week and possibly I could be in Mm. next week's voting right. and I may not be right you Do don't you know? know that you don't yet. know I won't know that until tonight okay. so four are, are safe and the other four will go up against mm. the voting right. to the public so tell me what you need then you need you to need, download yes. load an app so you, you need a smartphone okay. there's no texting or anything that's all gone mm-hmm. so you need a smartphone and you need to go in and put in Glortira G-L-O-R-T-I-R-E and then pop in that and then it'll come up you download it pop in they'll ask you maybe your email address just to register and in that then you will see all the contestants, the eight contestants will come up and you'll see my picture and beside me you'll be vote on that. And right. there's five re- free votes, Fran, as far as I know. And then there might be a costing then for a mm. vote. I'm not sure the, the price of that after. Mm. But I'd be grateful for Tipperary to vote on the five free votes. That's there as well, just to utilise yeah, them and course, use them. Yeah. Um, in terms of the kind of support that you're getting, I mean, I'm just looking <clears> at the screen here, you're, you're getting uh, loads of support from people. Well, can I great, say yeah. thank you to each and everyone that's out there, the listeners and all your messages and everything that I'm getting and the phone calls. The phone is hopping and the crack is mighty. And thanks so much because I'm really just enjoying this moment because I know these moments, they don't last forever, Frank. Yeah. Do you know, so you just kind of jump on the wave and go with it. And if anyone needs a help as well with the voting, if they're not sure of the link, I have the link. And it's simple just to pass it on through Messenger, Instagram, anywhere at all. Right. Just so contact. people want to get on to yourself, Absolutely. You, you're, you're willing to help them. I out will, of course. Molly O'Connell Music or Instagram, it's there. Okay. And ask the younger members of the family about That's downloading it. That's it, friend. I was just saying there that, yeah. that some mightn't be able to use the smartphone and if they could get maybe their aunts, uncles, brothers, sisters, anyone that can help mm. each other out just to download that little app mm. on the phone. It's what are you hoping for? What's the big picture here, Molly? What... I would what are you keeping from us? I don't know. I, I don't think I'm keeping anything from you, friend. I would just like to just, um, I suppose, make my way and mm. make my mark in the country music and the Irish music, of course, as well, because it's always been a passion of yes. mine. And as I said, just original songs to come in my path and hopefully maybe to write my own a song, maybe co-write with someone. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. Have Steven. you tried that yet? I've written a couple of songs, friend, but like it's like anyone that songs songwriters are kind of looking at going oh I don't know I don't mm, know but mm. you know I could hand it to someone they'll say wow do you know so mm. I think I need to just kind of chat away to maybe Stephen because I've, he's written quite a few songs for me now and hopefully maybe later on in the year because this is my fifth thankfully I, I when I say it friend I'm like oh my god it's my fifth single it's great, isn't which it? is amazing and yeah. I'd love to put him on an album 
Mm. And if that's possible, I'd probably bring it out later on this year and have a big lovely? old party. For Wouldn't it? it be great? And we'll all be there to <laughs> and celebrate. And you'll all be there. I'd be delighted and, to have you. Do, you. do you see yourself fronting a band, for example, Molly? Is um, that something I that you'd d- like? Do you see, it's very hard to say front a band because, as you know yourself, it's it's since COVID, everything, like the big bands, it's mm. it's hard for Very difficult for pieces. everybody, yeah. Whereas a two-piece, a one-piece, all oh, that's kind of, you know, mm. probably possibly somewhere mm. that I could still sing entertain people make them smile if it's in a scenario of two that's perfect something right. like that I'd say just to get the voice yeah and what about touring and the like would you like to go and um, well thankfully I was asked on Hugh O'Brien asked me on the hot country this is my first um, outing from Ireland to Scotland oh excellent so the Hillgrove yeah. we're going over there um, and they love the Irish singers Irish yeah I believe so there, yeah. so Colin Kenny is going he's from around Tip as well and there is a good few on it as well, Paddy O'Brien. So to me, that's my first kind of outing. Hmm. So uh, looking forward to that. And whatever comes the way, hopefully a couple of festivals, if I could jump on yeah. for a few songs. I'm on the West Awake. Very the good, yeah. are out they, there. They were quickly on to us to tell us Pardon. all about, uh, about that. Yeah, when is that happening, by the way? I think it's in June. The, okay. well, I know we had it there earlier on. The okay. lads, Pardon, could kill me. Um, but the West Awake Festival, so looking forward and to be asked on that as well yeah. with Rebel Hearts and they've Love. been hugely supportive oh, they're, of mine they're mighty yes they're mighty doing the Facebook page I think well, friends so they can follow them there alright Louise Morrissey was on to say best of luck to Molly and Glortira and the whole journey there as yeah. well so how are you getting on with Louise by Louise the way, huh? yeah. like I've said to Louise it's gas I used to be recording with my little cassette player and my pen and paper all her songs when I was small Did play you? oh yeah and I said this to her down there she's been an absolute sweetheart when they yeah. say she's Tipperary's country sweetheart she really is you know she has been so calming because when we were down there and the TV cameras were here there and everywhere and she was like it's great you'll be fine and if yeah. they stop you it's fine they, you know just start again and it'll all so she was so calming and very good as a mentor when I asked her about the songs and what to pick and how to go forward she had no bother and replied straight away or was on the phone to me and Noel will say the same she's just super um, very, very good indeed and of course like yourself she comes from a folky background as she well does, you know, yeah, so she loves the family, folk and the, so. the trad and all of that well it was a pleasure to have you in studio and we wish you the very best and we might just tag along on the journey, Molly. And uh, I would love that. Yeah, I would okay. love that. And I'll keep you up to date. And I can message your friend to see how things are going. All if right. people want to know on the airwaves. Um, I just am so delighted for everyone that's out there supporting me. I can't thank you all enough. Right. I'm well, so grateful. It's still pouring into us here. All the messages of support. Great <laughs> to see everyone. you, Molly. And we wish you the very best. Thank, thank you, you, friend, for having that's me. That's it for me. Emma produced. Ali looks after our content. And Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel. I will talk to you tomorrow. All being well. Bye-bye now. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.